You've tuned in to another episode of the Adeptus Terror podcast, hosted by Sam, Matt, and Neil. Put your feet up and enjoy. Hello, and welcome to episode 71, Not Yet Together Again. Uh, unfortunately, we are still recording separately, but I, I have a, a, a sneaky suspicion or a, a feeling in my loins that this is going to be the last time we do this because I'm, I'm, oh, severely, God, I'm severely over... Um, uh, independent or, or distance um, recording. I, I'm so done with it. Like I'm so done. I, do you know what? I, I, I was little... thinking the other day, I haven't hugged Matt since March. I know, it's painful. I'm a little bit worried about this feeling in your loins, to be fair. I know. It's a little, <laughs> little, little, little I, nodule. I, I, as long as I don't see the, any, any feelings in the loins on the camera, we're okay. I can feel my loins on the camera. The more concerning we... thing is, the more concerning thing is, um, is, I haven't hugged Neil in probably a year and a half. Neil's just not a hugger, really, which is which is very upsetting. I get hugs from Neil. What are you I, I would just like not manly enough. He just doesn't touch me enough. If, if you're manly enough, Sam, you get the manly hug. Is it? Is it? I need to do yeah, make I, some I would games. Like to debate debate this this anti-hugging. Neil's a hugger. You've put upon is Neil, me. Is Neil a hugger then? In the end, have I got it all wrong? Anyway, whatever. Yeah. Intro to the podcast. So, hello. You join us again uh, in a very by the way, cold. By the way, over- is Sam? Sam. We don't do that He's at the beginning. Matt. We don't we do, do that at the beginning. We do that. You go He's, back to all of our episodes. Hello and, and welcome, welcome to episode, welcome 71. To episode 71. Not yet I'm together Matt. again. I'm, I'm Sam. Sam. I'm Neil. Yeah. Anyway, I, I, think, I, think, I think people know who we are by now. And in I'll be episode 70, in, epi- in today's episode. episode. And they're listening to this nonsense. Yeah. In today's episode, on my screen, I have Sam on the left, Matt on the right, and me in the top. Right hand top corner, right very, corner, very really small. tiny, <laughs> very very small, tiny head, oh, tiny, tiny 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 face <laughs> with lots of things behind me. <laughs> okay, this is this has gone significantly off the rails, significantly quickly. As always, as always, I blame I blame you, Sam. That's fine. That's okay. That's fine. Yes. So anyway, this is episode seventy-one. Uh, not yet together again. Um, and first things first. Next hobby hangout is going to be Matt's. It's going to be in August. So Matt has chosen the date, which is... The last Sunday of the month, which will be the 30th. The 30th. Ooh. That's exciting, yeah. the 30th. We will definitely create definitely create an invite for that, 110%. Yeah, uh, uh, what are you doing for July? Does not Slash. matter, because it will already have happened by, this time, by the time this episode comes out. Yes. Will it? Probably, possibly. So you're possibly. doing it tomorrow? Who knows? Who knows? I, this, this is future sounds problem. Okay. I will worry about it tomorrow. It'll either be tomorrow or the second of August, which who, who knows? the podcast will be released on the Thursday. I just don't care, Matt. I just don't care. Uh, okay. <laughs> it will happen. It'll be fine. Um, so that's the next hobby hangout. It's gonna be the 30th of August. Um, Neil will eventually host one again eventually. Um, but not just yet. He, he's not trusted to be on his own with listeners just yet after the Wait, last incident. Are we doing two or three in a row now? Is this the second or the third one in a row that you've been on? Second. Uh second, probably. Mm. I would have taken a third and just actually no. I think it, I think it might be third because of didn't we we didn't do the first time at home separately. Uh, what would it be? May, June, July. Third. No, it was third. It is third. It is third. 
Okay, we'll take the third then. Anyway, 2020 well, V. Matt, do you want to update us you. on the 2020 V challenge, please? I'm going to force this along if it hurts me. <laughs> You're the one messing up the race. 2020 V challenge, Matt, go. Indeed. Uh, yes, it's uh, trundling along. Uh, it's got, it was a little bit quiet in June, but July seems to have picked up a little bit, um, which is cool. Uh, we have 14 people that have not missed a month since we started in April. Congratulations Yay! to those 14 people. Sorry? Congratulations to those 14 people. Yeah, sorry, you cut out there. Oh, it's because I'm it's because I'm facing away from the the thing that's going to pick ah. me up. Oh, Listeners okay. at home can hear me crystal clear. Okay, that's fine then. Apologies, um, but yeah, so 14 people haven't missed a month, which is great. So that's uh, already a, quite a few entries into the raffle for our great prizes. Uh, again, thanks to Matt from Wooden uh, Wooden Spoon Wargaming and Chris from Exit Twenty Three Games for their prizes, as well as our prize of. The craziest thing we've ever done. I mean, it is definitely ever. it's definitely approaching faster. I um, know, I know. You keep telling me not to worry, and I'm, I'm not, freaking don't, out. Here. Don't worry, don't worry. It's fine. <laughs> it will all figure itself out. I, I may die before it happens, just because Why? of the stress. Oh, know, stress! I'm right. so stressed out. <laughs> I thought there was something you were going to tell us, like an, an, oh, a, yeah, a yeah. live, a live confession yeah. of death. No, let's not joke about stuff like that. Yes, no. you never know. No. <laughs> you oh. never know. No, it's fine. If it happens, I inherit your your wife and kids and Warhammer. I mean, you you can have them. Can I fake my death so you get that no. stuff? No, no, no. I want to. I mean, it's going to be one of those moments where you can be an open casket, and I'm just going to slap your face a few times to make sure you're definitely dead. <laughs> fair play, fair play. <laughs> anyway, so yes, there's 14 people doing amazingly. There's plenty more that have got um, at least one month done, two months. You know, they've they've been uh, keeping going. Uh, just want to encourage people that if you haven't taken part yet. To jump on board, you can jump in at any point and earn yourself a, a ticket uh, towards the prizes that we will draw at the end of the year. Um, and yeah, if you're one of the 14 amazing people, then just keep chugging along, keep producing awesome things. Um, you can get the pack on our safe room uh, or just request it from us from anywhere that you contact us and we'll get you involved. You can also get it on our Instagram account and uh, our soon to be launched Twitter. We're not getting Twitter. Oh, no, no, we're not. We're we, not getting Twitter. Are we really? We're not getting Twitter. No, we're not getting Twitter. <laughs> no Twitter here. It's far too, far too angry, Twitter. Yeah, I can't handle Twitter. No. Uh, news from Terra, Sam. Let's go. Go on then, Matt. You've been building something. Uh, well, not really. So I picked up, I think last month, I might have talked about the tactical squads that I picked up on eBay. can't remember if we were recording or I just told you guys off of recording. Um, but yeah, I picked up a 10-man Mark III. Yeah, we don't talk about uh, purchases, squad. so it probably would have been off recording. Yeah, that's probably true. Um, and got them for a really cheap price, but because of that, they came in eh, not the best state. So I've uh, been pulling off arms, cleaning them up, uh, re-gluing them. Um, I've not done too much of that. I've just got them all kind of back into bits. Uh, a few of them were okay, but uh, some needed, you know, they were just at weird angles at the waist. It's just that classic, either a little kid had built them or, I don't know, someone had just done it quickly and not really put a lot of time and effort into so pulling them all apart getting them ready again to go back together luckily they're the plastic ones so it's not too difficult indeed uh, but yeah that's that's all the building really that i've been doing just getting them prepped for building um yeah i really want to get them built and then paint them along with the predator that i picked up uh, last month i think um but that's for the ultramarines, and I need to do the night lords. <laughs> it is very true. You do need to do the night lords. 
it's, it's a little bit scary how close that is happening. Um, what have I been building? So I uh, I built six single Forge World Zomortalis doors and two of the double doors. Um, definitely, actually, for, for how simple they are, it's like three pieces to make the door frame and then one solid chunk of resin for the, the, the actual door. And it just oh. slides, it just slides in and out, which is which is great. Um, but for how simple they are, it was actually quite difficult to build. Like, um, and because it's it's my ZM and 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 I am actually really trying with my ZM. Um, I even <laughs> I even uh, I even went and sawed sawn sawn off sawn off the the massive chunks gate the gates. They're not like like just normal forge world attached to a marine. It's like solid, like chunky, like two inch. Yeah. Thick. You've never it, bought say, a Forge it, World tank, have you? Is it as bad as the ones that I had on the Typhoon? Let's be honest. It, it's probably the massive. same. It's probably it was probably the same. Yeah, they probably were similar. Redonkulous. Like the Sakaran has a couple of massive yeah. ones. I don't know if I've got any of them knocking around. Actually, I've, I, yeah, do you know what? I used to keep I used to keep all no, of the chunks like, of resin it's... and thinking, you know what? I'm going to make tank traps out of these. It's going to be brilliant. It's never going to happen, Sam. I threw them away. I was like, I'm yeah, done. Joel, I found a massive box of probably all the Forge World kits that I've ever bought with the big gates for exactly the same reason. Yeah. There may have been a hundred in there. Yeah. And I was just like, this is never going to happen. This what is am never I doing gonna with happen. my life? Let, let's just... But Sorry, go on. The thing that I find crazy about it is then I looked over to my terrain box and I can see on the top in my city board six secret weapon miniature tank traps that I bought and painted and used on my board. <laughs> like, I clearly am never going to use these when I've got fully painted ones that look cool and are made to be that. Yeah. Than you know, these blocks that I'm going to make look okay. Like, no, just get rid of them. Just get rid of them. Just ditch them. No one needs to know. No one needs to care. No. So I I got rid of those and and um I actually Neil you'll be happy I uh filed down the rough resin on top of the doors because it's 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 the most inconvenient place. It's the bit that everyone's going to see because it's on top. So I filed it all down. <laughs> And then took a hobby knife and just shaved a little bit more off to try and get it flat and then filled Ooh. in. Filled I need in. a mold line remover. They're amazing for that. Yeah, maybe maybe. It's a bit more than a mold line. It's like where where it's been. Where cut the mismatch off. of the mold, yeah, yeah. It just doesn't Yeah, you know. it works amazing. Like that's what I use for all those things. Anyway, I used a knife now. I'm dangerous. Um and uh, then got some liquid green stuff and filled in the filled in the, the uneven bits. And then file and then file those down to basically where you can't see the liquid green stuff anymore. Yeah. Um, so it's it's almost legit. They're not all finished that way yet because I, I was I to be honest, I, I got sick of it after one door. Um but it's the thought that counts for me. Um and the issue yeah. the issue that I found with these doors is is um obviously they're out of production now and, and I found out they're actually worth quite a bit of money. Um oh, yeah. which is interesting. Uh and um they're really old casts, so they're not bent because obviously when you buy swords and and and, and some stuff in Forge World, it comes with a little natural curve um, in it. And uh, these aren't bent; these are these are physically like twisted. So like when you build them, they're upright, but then they're kind of like twisted outwards. So it's not right. for me when I was trying to figure it out. I was trying to get twisted stuff straight is really really hard um, yeah. because it's not just you can't just put it on a table and just sort of like uh, get it hot and then and then um flatting it out so i was having some real trouble with those and, and to be honest i put them in the board i thought they were all straight i put them in the board and then i was just like they're not straight at all so <laughs> i haven't i'm kind of at a point where i don't care anymore i have an idea yeah go on that we can discuss at a later date okay one of my one of the ideas i did have was warming them up in in hotter water hot water um putting them into the board and then using elastic bands to pull them against the board 
Interesting. Okay. So that it almost yeah. straightens them out that way. Um, so, but yeah, it, that it, probably would work, but they'd have to be hot enough, and it's getting that heat correct. Yeah, so you go too hot, and they'll just kind of be a bit droopy, yeah, like yeah. too droopy. Yeah, but mm. it's not hot enough, and then they'll they'll look like you're doing it, and then as soon as you take the elastic band off, just ping you'll back. notice that they'll be still twisted. Yeah, it's it's a it's 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 a nice problem to have. I mean, I've got a zone yeah. I've got a four by four zone metallic board, so it's a nice problem to have. But at the same time, I'm, I'm getting to the point where. I might just paint them and just leave it. Now, leave, leave them until you've got a fully painted board. Yeah. And then you're going to really want to get yeah. them right because even when you paint them, if your board looks great and then you've got these crappy twisted doors, it will it will, ju- it will motivate you to get them done properly. Yeah, yeah. No, yeah. it's fine. I'll, I'll, I'll get there eventually, I guess. And um, what I might do is rather than getting the really stringy elastic bands, I might get the really thick ones. So they're not yeah, yeah. just pushing singly onto the, the a, a udon noodles of elastic bands. Yes, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah indeed. Um, so yeah, that's what I've been doing this month. I, I, I kind of really hate building, so this is kind of a. Uh, oh, I love it. I, think, I, love, I miss. Just, I've missed it so much. It's just the worst part. I, hate I it. can tell you what I've built this month. Go on, Neil. I have built people's skills this month. Well done. <laughs> well done to Neil well for done. his new job. Nothing to do with hobby. Yeah. <laughs> well done. <laughs> um, painting, Matt. You've been doing some painting. Uh, yeah, I, I have done some painting. Um, so I should really give a bit of a shout out to Timothy, our friend Tim. Um, he, the other day, was uh, had a Monday off, I believe, because uh, he worked all weekend, and uh, said, hey, you're around, do you want to meet up for a few hours? Uh, I need to finish my, um, was it Tactical War Suit? You know, the uh, Primaris Recon yeah, yeah. Dreadnought yeah. thing. Um, yes. He needs to finish that. Underslung. Yes, or the Flamer Arm, I think, is the other option. Um, but yeah, he needed to finish that for the July 2020 V. Uh-huh. Um, and he needed that little push to get it done. And I've, as I've been saying on the podcast, he's been listening and seeing that, uh, yeah, I've not been motivated to paint. So he was like, well, let's meet up. And if I'm painting, you might as well paint. And that meant that I finished my vet squad uh, for my Night Lords. Hooray! So that's seven dudes with combi plaz. I need to do, well, I need to go back over and do the final bit of the gun glow for the plasma uh-huh. um, I just ran out of time I had to go pick Lucas up from nursery so uh, yeah ran out of time to to do that but that's just a 20 minute job so I'm, I'm pretty much counting them as done I, you could play them and you'd see they had plasma it's just not got the glow effect that I want right okay cool Sam uh, uh, sorry Matt anything else uh, yeah so uh, the only other thing I did quite quickly um, is I airbrushed my assault squad. So they were the next uh, unit up after the vet squad. Cool. And once they were, I didn't airbrush them for the simple reason that I would just paint them and not finish the vet squad. Um, so I was like, no, when they're finished, I will do some more airbrushing. So I've uh, airbrushed the two blues uh, of my Night Lords um, Vallejo paint. I can't remember what exact ones. Um, uh, premium color. Yeah, the premium, like very dark blue and then a slightly lighter blue. <laughs> um, but yeah, so I did that, got the highlight on as well, which I was really happy about. And then they're, so they're now ready for brushwork. Cool. Um, so yeah, it was nice to kind of have a bit of progression. Not like, you know, setting the world on fire, but it's nice to just have that progression. I'm all, already starting to kind of go, when can I paint my assault squad? Right. Cool. Uh, you know, which I'm, I'm thinking in that method now rather than just, uh, oh, I've got stuff to paint. Meh. Um, yeah, I've got a bit more kind of guy. Uh, I don't know what the word is. Just 
look, I wouldn't say massively motivation, but just I know what needs to happen next and it's new. So yeah. it feels a bit more exciting, I guess. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I get that. Yeah. That's cool. Sam. Uh what have I been doing? So I um kind of been for for a lot of the month was kind of off painting. I don't know, mm-hmm. just kind of like the effort level. Um where I'm not allowed to do it during the day now because I have a job. I, I felt <laughs> Welcome was, to the real world. Yeah, <laughs> go back to the real world. Um where where I had that like massive thing at the beginning of just painting loads of stuff um of lockdown and, and now I, I it's kind of become more effort involved because it, it's that where it would be left out or um or uh where it would be easy to grab. I, I, I used to just be able to pick it up and, and get on with it. Um but now it's a bit more effort and I, I found I've kind of been off painting for the most of the month. Um however Last last week, um, I uh, spoiler I had a game, and uh, I was I really wanted to the list that I had needed some uh, some meat recon marines, and and I got I got my list out actually, and um, I was like, oh, okay, everything's painted bar the recon marines um, in this list, and I was like, actually that, that's kind of that's kind of sucky, like. I, I want to paint them really mm-hmm. um, or certainly finish them a bit closer. So I got them out and started working on a bit more detail and I realized how much like I thought I was nearly done with them. Um, but I realized how far away from done I actually was when I got them out. <laughs> um, <laughs> <Wow. laughs> so I did a lot, I did a lot more work, a lot more tidying up of the colors. I, I, I was experimenting a bit with painting their leather bags, like the brown bags and, and, and trying yeah. some different schemes to that. Um, I've been trying because I'm not in London at the moment. Um, I, the ability just to go pick up paint is really, really low. Um, so I've been trying to use what I've got in my boxes and stuff, which I've got loads of paint, but it's just, um, where I try a new scheme and be like, okay, well, I need two pots of paint. I'll go get those. And then I can just try using the new pot of paint. Um, th- this time it's, uh, well, what have I got and what can I figure out and what's kind of close and yeah. Does this mean you actually tried mixing colors together to try and get a color you wanted? God no, I just just picked the oh. what color. Like I didn't do anything special with it. Um, <laughs> but anyway, so this I this is the next level of legitimacy yeah. we need to get to. Yeah, we'll get there. Um, but yeah, so I, I I did some work on the gray uh, the, the the leather pouches and um, what I really wanted to try and what I've been sort of flirting with for a very long time is the 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 cloaks that they wear and having them transition from from almost like the cloak in Lord of the Rings, you know, where they're hiding on the the ashen. Uh, hillside but they look like a rock well, it looks like a rock yeah yeah and the, I want... the easterlings are looking and they can't see them and then they they're Frodo and Sam are like right at their feet yeah 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 basically yeah. and um I, I was I really like that idea and I saw on Instagram probably my my main source of of all greatness of hobby um saw on Instagram uh someone did it and and they basically had the bottom half of their cloaks how they wanted them and then having like a green luminous line running across the cloaks like the cloaks are tran- transitioning into this this block color um and i really like that idea and it's a bit it's a bit uh judge dread uh kind of like cyberpunk-esque i guess maybe with the trans with the kind of like overt transitioning between them but i, I thought it'd be rather than it'd be a really good way of hiding all of the mistakes that i made near the end of it and <laughs> and and um <laughs> And yeah, so I gave it a go. I gave it my first go. Did it on all five of them. Um, painted the bottom half of the cloaks with the uh, brown, and then uh, crackling earth. Um, how I do how I do my my bases basically. Just no sand because uh, they really want to do sand. 
Yeah, no, that's fair enough. On a cloak. Yeah, let it dry overnight, and then in the morning before my game, um, I painted a green line. Now it didn't come out as much how I thought how I wanted it to. It came out a bit wider than I wanted it to. So I dry brushed um, dark green across, kind of like a wide dry brush of dark green, um, and then getting small in the middle. And the final one was a, a a thicker line of like the luminous green that I've got, and then a very thin line of almost white mm-hmm. um, to show in kind of like a progression of uh, of light. And um, it came out. Have okay. you seen these now? I haven't seen Sans one, oh, but I understand. They're on. Um, they're on uh, our Discord. Um, yeah, they came out okay. For my first attempt, I'm really happy with them. I, I, I think they, they weren't too bad. They didn't come out too badly. I, I think if, if I could go back, I'd probably try and get a, a smaller dry brush, even though I, I was using like the stippling brush from um, GW. So I don't know how small I could go, really. Um, but but it was okay. I think they might need a bit of tidying up. But I, I'm, I'm overall, overall, I'm quite happy with the effect. And, and um, I'm trying to see if I can find them now. I think I deleted. Uh, oh yeah, no, uh, no, no, no. Paint, um, yeah. paint your models. Paint your models. Yeah, I was looking at the wrong place. No, yeah. um, I think for a first attempt, dude. Mm. Yeah, it's really good, isn't it? They're really good. Then, yeah, I see what you mean by the uh, wider line. Um, no, you might I have think to put this up for people to see as well, Sam. Yeah, yeah. I'll put yeah, it on um, the. I'll put it on the community um, page. May, maybe use a, a, I don't know, an insane detail brush or a psycho brush to do that yeah. thin white line. Yeah, yeah. But the glowing either side on the the dirt and then the what what is it um just a standard gray and gray yeah, brush standard mechanic, mechanicus gray yeah. that that glow nicely breaks it up i actually prefer this to the blue that i've seen on many many other miniatures that people have done like on tau stealth suits and yeah, uh, yeah. I, like, green, I like green green works really well as a glow actually yeah i, was, I think I so i kind of noticed I did green power weapons on my night lords, and they look so much better than they would have done in, in blue. Yeah, one 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 compliment maybe. Um, when Ben saw them, Ben was like, "Oh yeah, they look so much better in person than in photos." That was like, mm. oh, okay, that's nice. Dude. <laughs> I think you're always going to get a certain aspect of yeah. Unless unless we were all um, golden demon winners. Um, <laughs> which we aren't, unfortunately, yet. Uh, because we can't dedicate enough time to it. Yet. <laughs> uh, photographs of our miniatures are always going to show up the imperfections mm. that, yeah, you, you yeah. won't see necessarily when you have them on the table. Yeah, yeah. So I, I, I'm happy with them for now. I, I think I'll leave yeah. them, and then it might be something I go back and maybe redo. It wouldn't be too hard to redo them. Just repaint the the crackling earth and the grey above it, and then and then do a bit smaller. Um, but I'm I'm happy they came out as a first attempt. I think think it went well, and and um, I, I think maybe a bit of tidying up would be needed, but nothing nothing too drastic, personally. Cool. Um, Very cool. Games. Oh, uh, whoa, 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 whoa! Be fair, your name is not on the notes, Neil. Right? No, it's not on the notes. Deleted them. I didn't. They, no, it was never on the notes. What? No, it oh. was never. My bad. <laughs> um, so what have I painted? Well, I have shuffled paints around the table and I have got the trainees to paint themselves in Greece. That's all the painting I've done in over the last two weeks. Uh... <laughs> yes. No, no hobby, but um, yeah, my trainees have painted their face with um, Greece from work. But yes. No, anyway, I, moving I can, on to games. I can sympathise. I, I dropped some coffee on the floor the other day. It's exactly the same thing. Indeed. Uh, your wife covered herself coffee. in coffee. <laughs> yeah, yeah. She painted herself coffee colour. Oh, did, did you see that photo? Did you see that photo? Yeah, yeah, it was great. 
Yeah. It works. Anyway, moving on to games. I definitely haven't had any games, Matt. No, sadly not. I was hoping to. Um, me and Sam kind of flirted with the idea of playing a ZM, but it was uh, late Tuesday night and I just really wasn't feeling it. Um, uh-huh. I, did, I didn't want to go. And, and I mean, in the end, we were hanging out with uh, Tom um, as well. Yep. So that was that was nice. Um, but uh, yeah, if it was just me and Sam, even then I probably wouldn't have gamed just because... I was not in the right mindset and I didn't mm-hmm. want to go and after not playing a game for so long and then just be a bad opponent. Um, yeah, no, I get that completely. So I was like, I, so I kind of pulled out of that a little bit. And then um, I was hoping to get a game in with Ben, who Sam actually played this month um, today after recording, but don't think that's happening now. So, uh, yeah, another, another month of no mm. game. I'm hoping next month I might be able to get at least one in, whether it's a ZM at, at Sam's or whether that's. Uh, a larger game with Ben or, or Sam, I guess. Uh, they're the only two people I can think of that are kind of available and, and asking for games. Neil, Neil's right free now. at the weekend. I don't know, to be honest with you. It's only depends on training requirements. Uh, well, he needs, um, needs to get his salamanders up to scratch because I'm only playing 30k until we go on our event. Yeah. Oh. Oh. How, how, what's left? Like, what's left of painting those? I don't know, and I'm really not going to go into it now. <laughs> <laughs> I can see stuff. I can see other stuff. Uh, yeah. So I had a game. Yes. I'm super yes, excited, and it was like an in-person <laughs> game. It was like the first time. Um, so I played against Ben. I played a 3,000-point game against his Thousand Sons. Um, and yeah, uh, It's a heresy game, yeah. Heresy game, yeah. Heresy, Thousand Sons against my Blood Angels. Pretty, pretty cool game. I enjoyed it. Um, we played, the map was Ambush, which is the yeah. large 36 uh, circle in the middle and then the two 12 inches on either side. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's, the, it's the worst one, I think. I actually, after playing it, really enjoyed it. I think oh, you, you need to, if you're playing that one, you need to, you need to tailor the mission um, yeah. rather than the mission that we had. <laughs> the mission that we had ah. was, was fun. Yes. Um, so we had uh, <laughs> Tide of Carnage. Um, so Tide of Carnage, the victory conditions for Tide of Carnage is each sector of the battlefield is worth a certain amount of victory points from from whoever controls it. Uh, in order to claim the sector, the side must have one or more scoring units in the sector and the enemy must have no scoring units left in that sector. So it's pretty pretty difficult to score, actually, when you think about it. Like, you've got to have scoring units in there um, and no other scoring units can be in there at all. Now, they added... They have they added sorry? Some units can deny as well, right? Yeah, I guess so. I think, yeah, I, I don't know. I think it's just surely it's just scoring units count and then other scoring units deny as a result. I don't think so. In heresy, you have scoring units that are the only things that can score points, but there's a wider set of units that can deny points. Okay, so like, um, denying uh, units aren't mentioned in this mission, but it, it might be. Yeah. It might be. No, I think it's in the general rule book. So, like, right. fast attack units, like, you know, um, a bike squad can get onto an objective and deny it from a troop choice because we don't get the whole thing of oh they're a troop so they have objective secured like all that's not really there um i mean again it's been a quite a while since i played heresy so i could be talking nonsense but i vaguely remember there being a set of denial units yeah hang on i'll have a look now yeah so Um, what happens when you have have a uh an actual rule book in front of you uh, denial units, yeah, denial units, denial there. units. Still in its wrap. Denial units. Um, <laughs> in other, in uh, any other unit in the game, including dedicated transports, are considered denial units. 
Uh, it's a swooping, swooping flyer, monstrous creature, a zooming flyer, or is it a, a unit currently embarked as a zooming flyer? Uh, hang on, sorry. Any other units in the game, including dedicated transports, are considered denial units unless... Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah, so you can deny... So it's even harder because you have to get rid of every denial unit. Yeah, but go, yeah, back, yeah. go back to the rules. Unless the, the, unless mission, the mission, the mission yeah, rules. Because it so. might say, it says uh, you score points unless there are other scoring units in that sector, correct? That's different, yeah. Yeah, so it says um, the enemy must have no scoring units left in that sector. Oh, okay, yeah. So okay. there you go. So it's not, it doesn't matter about denial units for no, that mission. As as, so you could literally have a bunch of... Have thousands of bikes. And just spread them out into the different sectors and then just slowly whittle your opponent down so he doesn't have any scoring units left. Yeah. So the way that we did it, because of the mission, the deployment zone... Oh, also for this one, heavy armour... Um, in addition to scoring units, all vehicles with he- with the tank type, as well as super heavy ground vehicles and super heavy walkers, are classed as scoring units as well. Yes. So, basically, the majority of of Ben's force was scoring. Uh, I say all of my ultramarine force would be scoring because yeah. I've got troop tanks and then tanks. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. So we so uh, the way that we approached it is because the the deployment map I was the attacker and Ben was the defender. So Ben was in the 36 inches in the middle. Um, and okay. now I had the two 12 inches on the short table edges of the six by four. Um, and the way that we agreed it was you, we, we clarified that only a scoring unit can hold one zone. So you can't conga line them out because yep. that's a bit. Yeah, well, that, that's the same for holding an objective. So if yeah. the areas are your objectives, it would still stand that way, I would say. Yeah, cool. Um, and then we did it that the 12 inches are considered a continuous deployment um, just on other sides of the board so that I couldn't get loads of points for holding my own and Ben couldn't get loads of points for, for killing it. And and how, and how the way that we did it is, um, the way that we did it was, if I had a, an, a scoring unit in one side and Ben had a, a denial unit or a scoring unit in the other side, um, sorry, um, then it just kind of counted each other out. So we didn't have basically two deployment zones because otherwise it could have allowed Ben the unfair advantage to get in more points because it's seven points for um, to score the opponent the opponent's deployment zones. Mm, yeah, yeah, that's interesting. I wonder if they thought about that with that map in mind. With, probably not. If you're deploying it, no, probably not. But I'm just thinking if you're deploying in the center, in my head, you've got quite a disadvantage. Yeah. 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 Like, well, although splitting your force is not normally the greatest idea. So going from mm-hmm. both ends, you can be piecemealed. So I suppose it balances out. Yeah. So um, the, the victory points were three points for uh, your own deployment zone, um, five victory points for no man's land, and then seven victory points for your opponent's, um, mm-hmm. the opponent's deployment zone. Uh, so we did it that way, and uh, and yeah, and then secondary objectives were slay the warlord, um, last man standing, and price of failure, which is brilliant because Ben's force has a uh, a Vulcan Mega Bolter Storm Sword, Storm Lord, Storm Lord. That's it. Um, so he had a Super Heavy, which was quite fun. Um, he also has Magnus, doesn't he? Yeah, but he's he's t- he doesn't count as a Super Heavy because he's Primarch. No, yeah, 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 but he still would he's count still... for price of failure. Yeah, because he's a, oh, yeah. a Primark. Okay, but let's, let's let's put it into perspective. Is there really an opportunity for me to murder Magnus in this game? No, not really. Magnus no. is broken. So, yes. So the game was really good. I really enjoyed it. It was uh, bloody, I think, the first turn. Um, I, I, my, we did this slightly wrong. Not wrong, but we, it, we didn't <laughs> do it correct. Um, the first turn, my uh, Moritat with his dual melter pistols uh, dropped 
super close behind um, his, um, what they called, the big tanks with the rail guns on top. I have no idea what you're talking about. The, oh, well, you, the Sikaran. The Sikaran, yeah. So my, my more attack... Yeah, he's got the plasma one, right? Yeah, yeah. So my, my, my more attack with his dual melter pistols dropped behind the um, the Sikaran and then blew it up first turn. It's just, I always get Angel's Tears and just um, Angel's Tears and the... Dawnbreakers. The Dawnbreakers the wrong way around. Dawnbreakers so, Dawn are your combat guys. Angel's yeah. Tears are the, basically the destroyers with the two pistols. So my Dawnbreakers dropped, um, dropped behind his Vindicator um, and they have Assault grenade launchers attached to their wrists uh, so I blew that up turn one as well nice um, and then um, there was some more death as well what else happened basically lots of things died uh, the thing that we got wrong is my Moritat then jumped towards his um, uh, his Stormlord and then melted pistol again which he can't do if he's doing the, the, the strike because it, it effectively knocks him out for shooting for the next um, the next turn if he's doing his, his rapid fire super shots um, mm. so I did that slightly wrong however a bit of solace. Everything was shooting at that Stormlord because it's a Stormlord. Um, and I, I didn't fire the majority of my um, Fire Raptor because uh, because I, I already shot one thing with it and, and um, I, I blew, then blew up with my, 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 my more attack. Uh, so there might have been it. It was a bit of a hazy line. But we need, I need to remember those rules. It, that was the, the main takeaway for me in this game was actually it's really hard to go back and play like a 3000 point game um after not playing for like four months like just mentally taxing of thinking trying to remember what stuff does trying to remember basic rules was actually quite hard as well i think it's definitely worth um what i might try and do is get a few more smaller thousand point two thousand point games in before i try and get a three thousand point in again because just to almost build myself back up to it especially with blood angels they've got quite um the units that i have specifically are are quite uh, specialist and they have their own special rules um so trying to remember all of those all at once was a bit of a, a bit difficult so what i think i'll do is probably try and um maybe play some thousand point games again yeah to myself play up to a it. mix of zonal talis and uh, centurion yeah because then because obviously with all your jump pack guys you probably want to play Centurion games to get used to their special rules, like your Angel's Tears and your Dawnbreakers. Yeah. Um, and they're built for small games, so you're not up against you know a load of different tanks, for example. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I, it, it was definitely, uh, definitely interesting game. Um, really enjoyed it. Really great to be back rolling dice again, and really awesome to be able to be playing with with friends. Um, and uh, I actually really did miss playing games, but. I think going back and trying to do my first game at a 3,000 point game was probably quite a, a mistake. Um, yeah, I know Ben was very excited because it was uh, he'd spent kind of lockdown building up his 3K mm, thousand yeah. sons. Yeah. Um, and then obviously the ability to moan about thousand sons, about how OP they are. Um, oh, mate, they're so broken. It was, ju- it, it was just like, and I, we actually, me and Ben had a discussion about it because um, I obviously am a whiny person. Um, and was just like turn, turn five Sam turn five no it wasn't turn five it was more like turn two Sam when it was tired oh, oh, okay. <laughs> um, but it was it was more about the psychopowers powers and actually how one of them was uh, plus three strength and initiative and and it yeah, was, yeah strong arm and endurance I think something like that and 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 um, the prescience where he can see into the future and get plus initiative or whatever and it was just have giving that to already quite strong units was just for me i was just like man this is just so difficult and he and then ben ben very rightly so pointed out that you have to roll for it you don't always just get it but i was trying to remember 
any of their power, any times I've played Ben where he either hasn't got those powers or the powers that he have got aren't as good. Like, yeah, well, the the thing is with that as well, and, and I've had the same conversation with Ben, is that, yeah, you roll, but if you decide to roll all on that one table, then, you know, it's only a chance out of six and you're rolling two or three psychic powers. Yeah. So you're very likely to get one of the really strong ones, if not yeah. both of them. Um, uh, and that's just like, I think Magnus, you roll four powers. Now, if you go, cool, I'm going to put them all on this one, you know, discipline. Yeah. Then I'm rolling four out of six powers you're going to have. Like the likelihood of missing the two really good ones are very unlikely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'd, what I'd quite like to do, and, and, and maybe this is maybe this is the, the complaining part of me, I'd quite like to play Thousand Sons where they don't have Magnus. Mm. Like, I, I'd be really interested. Like, Primarchs are brilliant. And uh, spoiler, I put my order in for my Sanguinius this month. Um, so mm. he, he's coming. Um, but I, I always want to be able to play a 3,000 point game without prime, a Primarch. I think it just adds something a bit different to it. Yeah, I, I don't think you're wrong. I think, um, especially our group where we've all kind of got our collection and we built armies that obviously everyone wants their Primark, right? But like mm. they haven't gone above that. So it's like my Night Lords, I could field a 3,000 point force now yeah, um, without Curse, but only now. And that's like two years after doing it. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And obviously I, I can field a 3,000 point force. It's not optim- optimized it's, it's yeah, yeah, in, yeah. In, in quotations um, without him yeah. um, and, and without my other 20 man assault squad. Um, but it, it's, it's, at least I can do it. Um, so yeah. I don't know. I'd be I'd be willing to, if someone if I had him and, and someone was like, do you know what? Can we just do no Primarchs this turn? I'd be this game. I'd I'd be fine with that. Um, but yeah, 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 it'd be nice to play it because it's not that kind of just instant, not instant win. That's probably not the best way to look at it. But it's yeah. it, it's taking a Primarch, especially a Primarch like Magnus, against normal Marines. Like the way I dealt with him now is just run away from him. Yeah, you just try and ignore him and yeah. let him buff his guys. That's fine. So all in all, really excited that, that I had the game and I definitely made me really want more games. Um, I, I definitely want to play probably some thousand point games, yeah, especially as I am now, um, and then some 2000 point games and then probably go back to 3000. I think I, I need to get more in if we're going to make the September event because oh, yeah. I need to get super fluent with it. And and I am also need to, uh, I also probably need to uh, make some better cheat sheets rather than trying to flip for a book. Yeah. yeah, I need to revisit uh, my old company of legends ones because some of the units are the same, but others I can uh, change out. Mm. I'm not taking all the dreads, so I can change those for like the bike squad and stuff because uh, I found those really useful. Yeah, cool, good. Um, but that was it. That was my game. Um, I think nice. that's 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 it. We're gonna take a quick break and then we'll go back for the warp storm poll. The tendrils of the warp are far-reaching and communicating using the great social media anonymicon. Do I? What's that? Do I have to say that? Yeah, it's a keeper anonymicon. Anonymicon. Anyway, it's apparently never been easier. Reach out and connect. Find them on the Adeptus Terror podcast page on Facebook. www.facebook.com forward slash the Adeptus Terror podcast and the Adeptus Terror Podcast Community Safe Room Facebook group, www.facebook.com forward slash TATP Safe Room. 
You can also connect to them on Instagram to see some of what they get up to in between episodes at the Adeptus Terror Podcast. Give these losers a break and please give them a like and a follow. Thanks, guys. Hello and welcome back for our, uh, our our second segment, the Warpstorm poll. Um, and in this month's episode, we we pose the question: um, What has been your best hobby memory? Um, this kind of came out of our last episode because uh, we were talking about our experiences and and where we've come through the hobby and 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 which is what's caused the question as, as to what has been your best hobby memories. We're going to do it slightly different um, because obviously we shared ours last time, um, and we are instead going to out of all the answers pick our favorite read them out word for word and then uh maybe talk about them a little bit if needed or, or kind of give our thoughts on them if 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 uh if they're um codswallop yeah sounds good so yep. neil do you want to go first okay i like to pick the names that are very hard to pronounce <laughs> so i apologize now for this um but first of all i've got andre Babonin, again, I apologise for the That's pretty good. That's how I would have said it. Right? Yeah, yeah, I would have made it worse. But he said there are many um, fond memories, uh, but this one in particular is his first visit to Malmo to take part in their local tournament. First time entering our local gaming club and seeing all those awesome armies. Uh, but I do have to say my best hobby memory is when entering GW Store for the first time. It's always a, a kind of like you walk in, and you're just like, oh, somebody told me about this, but oh, yeah, it's like it's a bit awe inspiring when you do go into your store for the first time and see all these greatly painted miniatures, what have you. Did you know that yeah. Malmo is the uh, is a young city and almost half the population is under the age of 35? <laughs> He's, he's I've been missing this. his facts. I've missed this. <laughs> <laughs> what, what was that from? That was an old segment. Was that, um, what's it called? Uh, was that uh, the question thing we used to do? What, was it, or just, was it love and hate? I don't know. I don't know. That was the first segment. It's just Sam's facts. Remember, fact. you used to have just Sam facts. Sam's facts. Sam's so facts. I, I didn't. I'm did, sure. Did you know uh, 28,000 people commute from Malmo to other Swedish cities for work? Okay. Um, and then... Uh, 14,600 people commute each day over the Orizond Bridge, which is probably one of their popular bridges. But that was it. Uh, it's currently 18 degrees there with a 64% humidity. I'm waiting for you guys. The area code is plus 46 if you're going to call them. Fun, fun fact. Awesome. Thanks. <laughs> uh, yeah, I, I think remember Garen's... going into Games Workshop um, and just being like mad about Lord of the Rings because grew up kind of being it read to and reading it and stuff, and then uh, obviously the movies uh, came later. But yeah, just going in because I think the South End, I think it was the South End store, had like a kind of mini Helm's Deep thing kind of set up. Like wow, um, that's cool. It, it was it, it wasn't Helm's Deep, but it was like a castle attack with Urukai, and yeah, very much that's what it was trying to kind of show. Um, hmm. And I remember being like, oh, this looks cool. What are these? Ooh. And going in and then kind of being like, oh, okay, they do other stuff too. Let's look at that. Um, and I can't remember like what I walked out with. I definitely bought something, but I can't remember. But yeah, there is that kind of mythical what have I walked into 
kind of feel when you walk into a games workshop. Mm. I think it goes, it does fade away uh, quite quickly. Like the second time in, you're going in to pick something up, right? It's yeah. not like for me at least, it was never a hangout place. It was never somewhere I went and really engaged with the staff on a personal level. Whereas I know lots of people do do that, um, even you know all the way through the years. But um, yeah, I think the first time was just like, where? What is this kind of weird, different place that sell only models? Like that wasn't a thing on my high street. You know, there was never a model shop around. So it was just like, oh, okay, this is different. This is kind of cool. Yeah. I yeah. um, I my first GW experience was the Lakeside one. Oh, okay. uh, Lakeside, Lakeside for those who aren't from the UK or from particularly around where I live, uh, Lakeside is a massive <laughs> shopping centre. And and uh, when growing up, there would always be a almost a day trip to Lakeside. Like we would we would go yeah. and we'd almost put on nice clothes as well. Like it was a proper thing. Um, and then go and have like dinner or maybe go see a movie there and go shopping. And, and there was always a games workshop on the food court. So when my parents would go and get something to eat or we'd go and get something to eat. Um, and while they were queuing for it, I'd be like, "Cool, I'm gonna go to Games Workshop," um, and I'd 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 run to uh, to the Games Workshop, and I, I remember going in, and and um, they always had it was a, it was an open fronted store, so there was no like doors or anything, yeah. um, and they had tables down the middle, and and just looking at the diorama setup and the models, and just spending as much time as I could just staring at the um, the model, um, the 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 model displays and and in the display cabinets, and and it was always a kind of awe inspiring kind of thing and i think my 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 relationship with games workshop growing up was probably very different to most people's whereas i never really went into the store and and did anything my, all my models my uncle gave me um and and maybe got like one or two maybe a starter box or something for my parents and and then kind of just fell out of love of it super quick um which was a bit weird um but no i my first time in the store it was it was a it was quite a nice one i think i i, I don't remember being buffeted by the the stench of human um, mm. body odor yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Do, do you remember the um the Basildon one that was up in like the um You have top, to go up the, like, the, the spiral staircase, the metal spiral yeah, staircase yeah, up right and it was, it was super weird to get to, but yeah, it was yeah, yeah like, it was quite felt, small. It felt a bit weird going up down these kind of poorly lit alleyways and stuff that you know, you're inside the shopping centre, but it just felt a bit like it was almost What's like up, you were yeah. the. It was almost like you were the. You were the back areas of the shopping centre where all the staff store stuff and 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 yeah and, yeah. yeah yeah and it was over there. I remember going there and picking up uh, Space Crusade, and I think I Joe. I think I bought Space Crusade and Hero Quest from that shop. Wow. Um, but yeah, that one was always a bit of a kind of like weird kind of pokey shop that was just yeah. I think it went pretty quick to be fair. No, um, I think it was around for a long time. Um, I I, I remember going to it, but I. Don't know. No, I never, Neil, never did, did shops exist when you were younger? Uh, funnily enough, yes, they did. Um, obviously, Games Workshop, South End, Lakeside, uh, Blue Water. Oh, yeah, the Blue Water store. Blue Water store is another small one with a Space Marine statue above the door. Was it small? I, I always remember it being quite big. Yeah, it was, it was quite a small one. It was quite a small store. Uh-huh. Yeah, you could fit the table down the middle, but that was about it. Um, and I always remember there were other what we'd call comic book shops in mm. Victoria Plaza when Victoria Plaza was that little bit bigger. You had uh, a place called Time Tunnel or something like that and then another one next door to it. And they used to have bits and pieces. And Cavalier Books that was along uh, the London Road as well used to sell them. Yeah. Yeah. Shop, yeah. Shops are cool. Like, yeah. 
I think we order everything online now, right? Like most people don't wander in. I can't remember the last time I went to a games workshop store. Um, probably last time we went to Warhammer World. Yeah, probably. Yeah. Um, no, 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 you, no, you would have gone to Basildon. No, we you always used, you, you pop into Basildon a, a bit, don't you? Like getting paint and uh, stuff. I, I haven't for a while, obviously a while because I haven't been able to. Yeah. But yeah, that would be my, the main thing. I'd, I'd drive up to Basildon because it's just a bit easier than South End for parking. And then I'd just wander up, pick up the two, three pots of paint I needed, say hello, and then go. Um, so yeah, very much more functional than kind of what we've just shared. So yeah, I, I never. I, I hope there's people that still really enjoy it. It's like an event going to a games workshop, not just for the first time, but you know, like continuously. But I, I fell out of that, you know, as soon as I kind of became invested in the hobby. Really, um, I, I remember. I I never understood when people go and and hang out in games workshops. Like I, I get maybe. I don't think gaming happens in games workshops now. Does it happen? Do they have like a local community and game there? Is, is, like, I, I understand I like the US. Still have a few. The US, obviously, I think the gaming culture is more in stores from what other podcasts talk about and photos and yeah. stuff. Like that whole friendly local gaming store. But I just don't feel that I have that. We have Wayland Games, which no. is quite close. And we play at Wayland Games. Maybe it's it's kind of similar, but but that's kind of that was kind of a bit of a fad. Now I've got a table in my house. I don't really want to leave my house ever again. Yeah, there are a lot of people that play Garage Hammer, don't they? That's what they kind of call it. Yeah. Home Hammer um, for those reasons. But yeah. No, very cool. Awesome. Right. Next, Adam Haythorn. Uh, I can remember my first memory of the hobby was when I was in school reading my mate's rule book and choosing an army to start and then going that day after school picking up a squad of marines and some paint and building them and dipping the whole marine in the paint. Oh, <laughs> oh fantastic. Uh, and then his other hobby uh, would be when I restarted the hobby, when I was just starting a new job uh, about three years ago or so and coping with the stress of moving, trying to fit in and trying to fit in firstly starting to read Black Library again and then picking up my old models, stripping them and repainting them, and just the sense of the accomplish accomplishment, sorry, and just the sense of accomplishment when finishing them. Mm. Okay, so yeah, it's interesting how often it's a mate who gets you into it as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like, yep. yeah. Um, I obviously, I can't remember if that was the case. I think I might have got into it and then got some of my friends into it. Uh, because of that Lord of the Rings thing and going in via that and then just picking up models 40k wise. I thought I had fantasy stuff as well. Um, and then when I got back into it, it was obviously Ryan giving me the Space Wolf Codex and giving me some models and going, hey, we do this. You used to do it. Do you want to get involved? And I was like, oh, yeah, okay. Yeah, yeah. Hmm. Yeah, that's good. We play a vital role in keeping the, the hobby going and getting more people involved. Did you do you do you know what the the, the sense of um, finishing something feels like, Matt? With finishing models, do you? I've finished plenty of models. Screw you. Have you? Have you really finished plenty of models? Yeah. Well, I took a whole fully painted Night Lords Force two years ago to Company of Legends. Is it fully painted still? No, because I changed the list. <laughs> All those models are still fully painted, so I can still field a fully painted three thousand point force. Mm-hmm. Indeed. So, eh. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> very grown up oh dear um, go on Matt you can go next yeah okay um, so uh, the first one 
feels a little bit odd because we're kind of mentioned in it, but that I, I take a bit of pride. Oh, in I, that, I, so I picked you. mine because I was mentioned in them. Oh, okay, interesting. <laughs> <laughs> I, I was going to say that's surprising, but it definitely isn't. <laughs> need to, need to um, feed so my that first ego. one uh, is Paul Spuddy Shaw, a good friend of the podcast. Um, he was attending his first 30k event, which happened to be mine and Sam's first 30k event um, at uh, Company of Legends in September 2018. Um, was it 2018? Oh, yeah, of course it was. Yeah, it was a long time ago. Uh, it feels like it's more than two years ago, right? <laughs> um, he got to meet loads of awesome people like me and Sam are mentioned here and Mark Frost from Frost. Uh, so my first one is a good friend of the podcast, Paul Spuddy Shaw. Um, he said that his was attending his first 30K event, which was a 30K event that was uh, attended by me and Sam, Company of Legends, September 2018. And he got to meet loads of awesome guys. Me and Sam are listed there, as well as Mark from Frostfiend Studios. For all your painting needs. Thank you. As well as other podcasters like Johnny and Jason from Sons of Heresy. And obviously the uh, Edge of Empire guys who run the event. Um, he said he may have gotten the Wooden Spoon Award that year. Uh, but it was well worth it. Um, hopefully if it goes ahead this year, he'll get to see us again and play some games. He, he's clearly up for a fight with you, Sam. Even if it's the Friday night, because you're on the same team. <laughs> um, what is he taking? Is he taking? As he said, what he's I taking? I think yet? I think it's space wars again. Oh. I can I can <laughs> I can kill him. We call it a training mission. I'll take my I'll take my mechanicum with me. So I would I would love to see Russ Sanguinius one on one, or that'll be a slobber knocker, <laughs> a total slobber knocker. Um, What's yeah. a slobber knocker? <laughs> oh, Sam. It's so oh, posh. Oh, what, oh, no, what is it? Like, is it from uh, what, like... a real punch up, my friend? A real punch up. Oh, fisticuffs. Uh, some fisticuffs. Oh. Some fisticuffs, you mean? <laughs> Following uh, the Queensbury, Marquis of Queensbury rules. <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, I, I love the fact that obviously it was that event that was one of his fondest hobby moments and memories. Um, I like, we've shared a lot about events, didn't we, when we did our segment? You know, Warhammer World doubles tournament with you, Sam, this event. Um, salute yeah i think going having a focal point in your gaming and meeting a load of new people is like when the hobby's at its best yeah um yeah i've really enjoyed um the events i've gone to so that one resonated with me very very easily good um and second i have uh patrick uh polish polius i apparently got everyone with a nickname in their name <laughs> um he said, when I started out back in 1997, uh, we got permission from the school to use a common room on a Wednesday after school for 40K meets, uh, with music on, battles going, and painting galore from over 20 people. Uh, it was all super exciting uh, to be diving headfirst into 40K. Good times, in brackets, while it lasted. Um, yeah, I love the fact that you had 20-plus people in a school mm. group. That's awesome. Um, yeah, never had anything like that. It was kind of a, as a kid, I think that one of the big reasons I fell out of it was because I, I only really knew me. I wasn't quite confident enough to, you know, get in those games workshop stores and meet people. Um, so yeah, just kind of was like, oh, I'm only building and painting these guys. I've never really learned the rules. I'll just put it down, whatever. Um, but yeah, so it's cool that it started that kind of young. Um, while it lasted, kind of hurt a little bit, you know, it's like, oh, makes you think of like our regular Saturday gaming when yeah, our bunker was every week and then it dropped to, to every two weeks. Then it became once a month and then it doesn't exist anymore. Mm. Um, I suppose it's, it's looking for not necessarily the same thing again, but finding that new thing that excites you. 
you know, whether that's events or, or a new group or starting something new or a new project, you know, a lot of us dry out on the same project and need to jump around. That's why we have multiple armies, right? Um, I think when you're trying to create hobby memories, uh, you don't think about it at the time as that, but you think back to what we would consider our happy memories. And actually they're things that are all very different and, and fit our stage of life. Yep. Um, so yeah, no, very cool. Yeah. So Sam. So I picked uh, James Gibb. So last millennia, because he's that old, uh, he were, he went to Games Day in 1993 after 2nd Edition was released and seeing a full-scale... Sorry, when were you born, Sam? 1991. I was two. Ah, there we go. I just thought I'd put that in there for James's benefit. I was two, and 2nd Edition was released. <gasps> <laughs> was, first edition, was first Edition released in 1991? Am I the no. same age as... Oh, okay, right. <laughs> no, right. First edition was Rogue Trader. Oh, okay. Yeah. So second edition was released uh, and uh, he saw a full-scale Blood Angel tactical marine walking around, getting to view all of the Golden Demon entrance and basically being starstruck with all the things on display. More recently, he can genuinely say, plucking up the courage to join the hobby hangout. Uh, he now tries to never miss one uh, as it's great fun and pretty awesome being able to chat with 40k people from five or seven different countries at the same time. Uh, I... I think I'm getting cosplay curious. Oh, no. I think there'd be nothing cooler than owning a full-scale suit of tactical armour. Like, I mean, you can talk to your wife, but I'm pretty sure I know the answer. I think it would be... <laughs> it would be she might like it. I could take the cod piece out. It might be a whole deal. <laughs> oh, no. Oh, no. <laughs> I think... Uh, moving on from that... She could very, be my very, sister very, of battle. Very quickly. <laughs> Yeah, you're gonna have to build your man cave first, and then yeah, put yeah. him up there. And then, then live it. I, I, I think it would be awesome. Um, yeah, more on this to follow. Uh, and um, I like, I really like the hobby hangouts. They're probably my favourite part of doing the podcast. Um, is uh-huh. being able to hang out and and chat to be different people. And 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 like our disclaimer says in the advert, that's following this segment. Um, we're not responsible for any hobby that isn't isn't done. Um, yeah. because we also need to do a new one because we've now longer host on Google Hangouts. Yeah, so we need to we probably need to update that. But anyway, whatever, we'll do that another time. <laughs> um and uh that could be my t- first task when we get the new desk. Um Yes. And and they're really great. I, I love the fact that we have someone from the US, we have someone from Estonia, we have people from Sweden, um, and they all come together and they join on this on this hobby hangout and I think it's brilliant. I really like them and, and they're like I said, one of my favourite parts of doing the podcast. Um, number two is, is Tanel, uh, our good friend Tanel. Um, and he would say that his top hobby memories has been meeting Sam, uh, and how, and how it happened. Um, I stop right there. There is more to that sentence than just Sam. Okay. I would say that my top hobby, uh, hobby memories has been meeting the glorious and wonderful Sam and how it happened. Uh, he started listening to the T. No, sorry. He's been meeting his his first his top hobby hangouts. His, sorry, top hobby hangouts. His top hobby memories has been meeting Sam, Neil, and Matt, um, and and how it happened. Uh, he started listening to the TATPC uh, podcast um, at one point, and 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 when when he started working on a ship that sailed to the UK, he decided to message me 
Um, and if I'd be interested in meeting up and maybe having a game. And actually, he was willing, and, and actually I was willing, me, Sam, was willing to, to meet up um, and uh, meet up with a strange man from uh, Eastern Europe. Um, and uh, we had a few beers and uh, we had a bite to eat in London, very neutral ground, places that I can run away if it turned one, out to be an axe one murderer. One thing led to another. One thing led to another. And now we have happy cross-Estonian and English babies together. Yes. No, so uh, I'll read it properly. Um, and uh, uh, and he, being me, was actually willing to just to meet up with a guy from Eastern Europe. Um, he thinks that we met out a few more, met up a few more times, had a few beers, had some some food, um, and and then we actually started playing forty k. We played a couple of games of forty k, um, and and now he has uh, managed to beat us all with his significantly op custodes. Only just beat me, thank you very much. It's fine. They don't count. It's, it's custodes. You're like, when he plays a normal army that isn't like steroided munchkins, then I'll, it'll be, I'll be, it'll be uh, 30k thousand sun sun. It will be. It will be. <laughs> but yeah, so uh, meeting Tanel for the first time when he sort of reached out and was like, cool, I'm going to be in London. Do you want to hang out? It was the first time that I've met a, that I met a listener. Um, Really? Yeah, no, 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 no. We no, met no, people no, at no, we no. met people at um, salute, didn't salute. we? Oh but, yeah, yeah, okay. yeah, yeah, yeah. Doctor Andrew. It was the first time. It was the first time that a listener has gone through significant, significant um, hurdles, gone over significant hurdles to meet me, um, which which I thought was pretty pretty cool. Um, and I really enjoyed I really enjoyed um, hanging out to now, and and I I definitely want to encourage anyone who. Um, who listens and and maybe either is in the area or traveling to the UK um, to to drop us a message. Like the likelihood is if you're coming close to London, then we'll be able to meet up in some form or another, whether that's that's for a game. I've played James Gibb as well. Um, Or whether it's just for, for a beer in, in a, in a London pub, which is very neutral and no one can, uh, and and everyone is aware if you get taken. Um, (laughs) But yeah, yeah, that that, that was cool. That was my two hobby memories that I I picked from the list. Um, Hmm. There were lots of others, so do go there give them a others, read. Yeah. Um, and feel free to carry on posting. I think if we take it off announcements, Sam, does it stay up? Do you know? Yeah, yeah it will stay up. It just won't be yeah. an announcement it's anymore. It'll drop in the feed, right? Yeah, yeah. but you can um, you can search for it on, on the Facebook. If you search for what hobby exactly? Memories hobby Memories, like it will probably come up on our on our page. Um, mm-hmm. But definitely worth going to read. I, I, I read through all of them, and, and it, it, a lot of them are shared experiences. So a lot of them are... Mm about kind of getting into the hobby and hanging out with friends and yeah. and, and that's always really encouraging I, I think it's really encouraging and and um yeah it, it's quite nice to see some of our favorite memories are actually the same as other people's which is quite nice mm. um but next month's poll uh this is when i read this this is matt's selection when i read this i i cannot wait for the answer yeah i thought you'd love this one um so the next month's poll is if you could wipe out one race from the law squat style so just completely eaten and dissolved which would it be and why so if you could so so, so the clarification the reason there's squat style there is everything up until now still stands it's still part of their story yeah so you're not wiping them out of the universe like they never existed yeah but just from this is the end of their story yeah this is it now they've they've gone off into the sunset and they're dead yeah and bearing in mind this is race yeah not army yeah yes so this yeah, is, yeah yeah so this isn't a load of space brain chapters this is, this is this the imperium is the, of man this is the entire race the imperium yeah. of man um uh, i i think we could we could probably uh, we could tone I'll that down try and do space marines 
and then mankind, maybe. No, no, I think you could very easily, you could very easily do guards, sisters of battle, like or even Valhallans, or I I think having a race, like a race or a faction in that race. When it comes to the Imperium of Man, okay, you wouldn't you wouldn't want to wipe out all of Chaos Space Marines if you could wipe out a Chaos Warband or space wolves or blood angels like i think it's very easy to you could do this into factions yeah yeah fair enough fair enough um okay so if when you when you're filling this in it's not going to be a poll it's not going to be a a um a a tick box or a select one of the options what we want we're going to pose the questions like this month and then we want your answers below with uh start it with your craft world or or, craft world sorry start it with don't 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 (laughs) start it with your start it with either your entire race or if it's a, a faction of that race or if it's um whatever you think for for if you want to wipe out one part of the, from the law, um, because not because they're removed, deleted from everything, but because they have been wiped out, wipe yeah. them out, um, and, and and why that, that is, is. That's my line. And, and why that is. So, for, so for example, I could pick, um, I could pick the Tau because uh, they are pointless. Sure. Or you could you could choose to go full brutal and wipe out all of chaos, or you could choose to wipe out. The World Eaters or Slanesh. You know, we're going to keep it quite open because there might be a specific thing that you think would tell a good story and end it. There might be just something that you dislike and you want to end it. There's, you know, a hundred reasons and you can go as wide as a whole race as well as down to a faction. Yeah. Um, faction is probably the smallest level. Don't just go, oh, I want to kill off Eldrad. Like a faction is probably the lowest form, yeah. like an Imperial Guard regiment. Uh, so you rather could, than the guard, yeah. So you could do you could do the whole sort of like yes, uh, I want to wipe out the blood angels because of the corruption within their gene seed. So that's the blood angels and all of their successor chapters get turned. Don't, yeah, yeah. Go red first, and rage job, yeah, yeah, yeah. and then get yeah. Wiped and out. also, if you want to include the how, that's cool. Like we'll happily read them as well. But you don't have to. So if you're worried about being uber creative and you're not that kind of person, then don't worry about it. As long as you give us that reason, it doesn't have to be a long thought out story. We're not asking you to write a novel about the wiping out no. of the Blood Angels. You yeah. know, just Blood Angels, I think they can tell a good story through the Red Thirst and then end them. Done. You know? Yeah. End no. them. It's good. Do it. Do okay. It. We're gonna take a break and then we'll come back with our uh, spotlight on High Fleet Jogamunda. This product is rated H for hobby. Smashing through your computer screens and mobile devices comes a monthly hobby feast like you've never, ever, ever probably seen. Hosted on Google Hangouts, 8 till 11 p.m. Sunday nights, UK time. Three hours of hobby feasts and hard-fought victories. Are you strong enough to survive? Are you brave enough to achieve? Are you wise enough to attend? I guess we'll have to wait and see at the next Hobby Hangout. 
Check out our social media pages for specific hangout details. Sam and Matt sold separately. We do not take responsibility for any lack of completion of hobby or level attendance. Hello and welcome back to the Spotlight, uh, which this week, or this month, sorry, we are focusing on High Fleet Jorgamunda. So the first thing we need to discuss is how are we say in Jorgamunda? Uh, Jorgamunda, blah, 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 blah. Like that. <laughs> um, yeah, I don't know. Um, Jormungunda. I don't know. Jormungunda. <laughs> My problem is I always try and put a G where the M is. So I try and say Jorgamunda. But it's not, it's the G and the M are the other way around. I think we just carry on doing like we normally do and just say Jorgamunda. And then yeah. anyone that wants to complain can host their own podcast and talk about it. <laughs> yeah, we're not charging. <laughs> exactly <laughs> so um as ever with these spotlights we're going to run through uh some background information and, and how they work and some some information and then we've added the the segment again or the final bit of the segment that we did last time is how do they work on the tabletop yeah um so matt let's take it away straight away with the history of jorgamunda yeah so high fleet jorgamunda uh is all an albeit small Tyranid High Fleet in comparison to the much larger fleets that we know of, you know, like your Krakens, your Behemoths, etc. Um, they are specialised in ambush and tunnelling tactics and entered the Imperium from the northeast of the Ultima Segmentum. Uh, Jorgamunda swiftly accumulated a massive pool of biomass by preying upon unprotected worlds in the Selassie, or, sorry, Thalassie sector. Um, like some monstrous serpent, in less than two years it, after its first recorded attack, it effectively sealed off the entire sector. So small but strong is this high fleet, really. Um, in the three months that followed, Jorgamunda did it again. Um, remained slowly twisting in space, defending itself when attacked, but otherwise content to be left alone, at least on the surface. And you see what I did there? They like ambush and tunneling, you see, on the surface. <laughs> yeah, so it never, never works when you have to explain the joke. No. Um, <laughs> and Gunda um, favour subtler methods than the siege tactics deployed by other high fleets. Its bio-vessels rarely e- enter planetary orbit. Instead, German Gunda uh, snares asteroids and other space debris, hurling them at the target world and launching their mycetic spores in concert. Uh, the devastation wrecked by, oh, sorry, wreaked by the bombardment ensures that a greater proportion of the spores make it to planetfall. So these are like the Tyranid drop pods, basically. Um, each mycetic spore that landed unleashed a Ravener brood or sometimes a Morlock or Trigon. These immediately buried underground and went dormant to avoid detection. Only when the infestation reached critical mass did the High Fleet send the psychic stimuli to awaken its slumbering serpents. Uh, and timing that for planet-wide destruction with the arrival of the hive ships in orbit. So this is like, we know it's a done deal, now we'll come into orbit to avoid getting blown up. I guess that's probably in response to them being a small hive fleet. They can't just lose loads of their hive ships, otherwise they're going to die. Yeah. Um, so the hive ships would then deliver gene stealers and carnifexes, um, as well as obviously loads of other monstrous creatures, uh, to the surface to escalate the havoc. Um, and it that picture just really makes me want to redo my army and go, Joe, you know I love gene stealers, I love carnifexes, and I have none in my list. I love trigons, and I have none in my list. Raveners are kind of mini trigons, and I have none of those in my list. I have a single Morlock. I'm like, oh, this could be so cool. 
Um, should the invasion be defeated, the threat is still not over because what Joel Magunda's tyranids would do was simply go back to those tunnel networks um, and go dormant again, maybe for months or even several years. But Joel Magunda will rise again to attempt to claim that infested world once more. It's kind of like once they're there, they're hard to get rid of, very much like the orcs. Um, another tactic used by the Hive Fleet is to use asteroids as armor for its bioships. Uh, which also serves as camouflage and allows bioships to launch the ambushes that we spoke about. I feel like this hive fleet would probably be underestimated quite a lot. Like, oh, there's only this small kind of tyranid ship been picked up. Oh, crap, they're all in, in amongst the asteroids. We're in trouble all of a sudden. Uh, I imagine they're probably quite good at space warfare as well. Um, during the war to stop the hive fleet, many space marine forces were deployed. Uh, particularly of note is that of the Blood Angels Captain Tycho, who led forces to several crucial victories. Um, we're not really going to talk about those victories because we're not doing a spotlight on Tycho or the Blood Angels or whatever. This is really from the Tyranids kind of point of view. Oh. Um, but yeah, it's... Uh, sorry, what? Oh, I uh, where there was a little detail in other sections, I brought in the human's point of view. No, that's, that's cool. Like, that's good to kind of flesh out segments and stuff because some of it is very like, they attacked, they killed them done so actually hearing it from the other end of the spectrum it is important um but yeah we're not particularly breaking down those victories that i just mentioned it's kind of i just wanted to put that caveat in there otherwise someone's going to be like hey you mentioned tycho you don't mention him again later like um yeah uh, he does go a little crazy when trying to defeat this high fleet and many people are a little bit kind of like oh okay uh this could be a problem but again, we're not doing a Tycho spotlight. That will come when we cover him eventually. Um, but yeah, Sam, why don't you take us on to kind of the Vanguard section of this high fleet? So Vanguard. Uh, so Jorgamunda's Vanguard uh, was wiped out at Gorgon Valley or G Gorgon Valley uh, by Commander Chenkov leading over a million guardsmen of the Valhalla 18th Tundra Wolves. So there's, there's not much information other than that. So what I did is I want to look at uh, Kubrick Chenkov uh, as a uh, sterling imperial leader, uh, so Chenkov is a renowned is a renowned leader who often will never admit defeat because there are always more guardsmen. He is notoriously brutal. Uh, he leads the Tundra Wolves, uh, a Valhalla uh, Valhallen regiment. Chenkov is rumored to have killed more cowards, deserters, and guardsmen that don't live up to his expectations than the actual enemy. Uh, he would rather <laughs> be in front in the front ranks. Uh, rather than hiding in his bunker. This always allows him to properly motivate his men. Um, Chenkov does not believe in grand, overcomplicated strategies. He simply believes that there is no problem out there that, is, that cannot be solved with the proper amount of bodies thrown at it. Uh, a common tactic is to isolate an enemy leader's position, pen them in with his own men, and then level the entire area with very large guns. Very Valhallen of him. Very Valhallen. He does not waste uh, his Lehman Rust battle tanks, um, as he would rather send guardsmen ahead of them to clear minefields to ensure the tank's safety. <laughs> this guy's pretty brutal. Exactly. Uh, Chenkov ended his year long uh, ended the year long siege. Chenkov ended the year long siege of contracts by storming an enemy citadel without any siege artillery support. The action cost ten million guardsmen. Um, but Chenkov was awarded the merit, uh, a merit of the of the High Laws of Terror for his achievements in liberating contracts uh, in in such a short span of time. No one mentioned the ten million guardsmen that it cost. 
Uh, they don't care. Uh, in Gorgon Valley uh, against the Jorgamunda, Jorgamun- uh, Chenkov drove a million guardsmen, including the Valhallen 18th, into the vanguard of the High Fleet to yeah. kill them, which then ended up then being wiped out. So yeah, a little yeah. sidestep into Imperial Guardsmen there, um, but it, it really sort of, uh, the only way, it really highlighted the only way that he was able to defeat the Jorgamunda was to drive a million guardsmen into at them. their teeth. <laughs> at them. So yeah. next up is the Sephrax. Uh, um, so Sephrax was actually a hive world. Uh, so it's hive world Sephrax. Uh, it was engulfed in a war between the planetary militia and the Crimson Castellans, uh, who were a loyal space marine chapter. Um, they were in, in uh, yeah, they, their war was against a pirate war band fronted by elements of the Crimson Castellans themselves. Dun, dun, dun. So it's a bit of an internal <laughs> internal war there. When the High Fleet descended, both forces uh, united against the Tyranids in defence of the planet. Unfortunately, it wasn't quite enough. Morlocks ate their way through the foundation of the Hive City and the Fortress, which caused a total collapse and the death of a billion humans. The Crimson Castellan's chapter master died in the bowels of Horvanta Hive, being torn apart by Raveners. Oh, that's lead- the way to go. Indeed. The leader of the Renegades, however, uh, escaped to, a, uh, to safety in, in his orbit- orbiting asteroid hideaway. It's a very Bond, twirly moustache villain move um, <laughs> to have a, a hideaway in the asteroid field. Um, although uh, the asteroid was later swallowed whole by a hive ship. So it all worked out quite so well. It all worked out pretty well. <laughs> Um, yeah, the tyrannies will mess up your day if you're not paying attention. Indeed. Um, next up is Jodron uh, 2. Jodron 2. Jodrunda fleet appears in orbit above Jodron 2. Um, and a thousand uh, meteors start to fall into the atmosphere. Uh, the planet's numerous uh, numerous fortress monasteries, uh, sorry, fortresses uh, that protect the planet's hive cities uh, destroyed many of these rocks, but uh, the remainder fell harmlessly into the ocean. Um, at that point, Jorgam- at that point, Jorgamunda's bio ships retreat, and Jorgen uh, 2's to governor declared the invasion over. <laughs> of course. Several months later. Host of many limbed tyranid creatures burst from the lower halls of the uh, Jedron 2 fortifications, eating and killing everyone. As the planetary defense forces scramble to react, long range scanners pick up a colossal body of vessels entering the orbit. It's time. So I think all three of those stories, all three of those, uh, of those histories, really, um, really uh, show how cunning Jorgamunder is. Uh, the fact that uh, it took a billion guardsmen to, to subdue them. Um, the fact that it doesn't matter how many hives they have to go through in Sephirax, they, they, they won in the end. And, and to the point where they then ate asteroids for biomass. Um, and then finally in, in Jedron, uh, they, they were tacticians enough, cunning tacticians enough that they could seemingly send asteroids to destroy the planet um, which were then shot down. They then hightailed it out of there, and then they they uh, attacked from within, um, which is pretty scary when you think about it. Uh, only to then be called back and then enter the enter orbit again to to kill the remaining the remaining humans. Um, it always kind of feels like Jorgamunda finds a way, which is a little bit yes. scary. Yeah, yeah, they're very insidious in that sense. Like you kind of like you can't just go, oh, we've dealt with. Them. Um, you have to be like, well, actually, we now need to scour the entire planet to see if one is left because that is enough. Yeah, we'll get onto that a bit later. 
Uh, next yes. up is Miga, which uh, Matt, you are running us through. Uh, yes. Uh, so uh, uh, Miga um, is a forge world. And on that forge world, uh, the garrison of Imperial Guard regiments defend their sacred Manufactorum complexes with as much arcane weaponry that they could bear. Basically, I raid all the guns that are kind of deemed too dangerous to use and unleash them upon the Tyranids. Um, they have a bunch of massive force pylons that were erected to keep the swarm at bay. So this kind of messes up with the hive mind and messes up their coordination. Uh, but the Tyranids that are burrowed through the armor-plated crust of, Me of Megra uh, destroy them from below. So unfortunately, the pylons kind of, I guess, fall over or gets pulled into the ground and, and destroyed due to the, the prior work of those burrowing Tyranids. Um, the swarm continued to weather everything the defenders threw at it. Uh, Megra's last hope was the titans of the Legio Annihilator, um, and they managed to win a brief victory until uh, Jurmagunda disgorged a new threat, a gargantuan creature that resembled a trigon, but was the size of a reaver titan. <laughs> Just insane. Um, with a gigantic fanged maw dripping with acidic venom, the creature tore a ruinous path through the Legio Annihilator, darting through the torrent of fire aimed its way with impossible ease. And it was only the massive cannons of the Basilica Mechanicus uh, that could bring it down, but the beast's death throes tore down great chunks of the Basilica's walls, allowing floods of raveners into the complex and sealing Megra's fate to death. So yeah. I really want this gargantuan creature, and I'm sad that Forge World don't make it. Do they not make it now, or, or is it, does no, it make no, it at all? No, it's just not a thing. Only well, the, they've got three gargantuans, technically. Um, the originals are the Hyridals, so you get Barbed Hyridal and Scythed Hyridal, but they're actually not that much bigger than some of the monstrous creatures now yeah. um, from the newer plastic kits. Um, and then you obviously get the big bio uh, Hierophant Titan thing with the four legs that always uh, splay out from the weight of its thorax. Um, in terms of modelling. Um, yeah, I, I'd love to see a gargantuan trigon. I love the look of the trigon. The kind of big, giant snake millipede kind of look really um, is an aesthetic I like. And uh, yeah, if they had one, I'd be all over it. Um, but anyway, I should move on. Uh, the battle for the Black Nebula. So uh, Admiral uh, Vortigern Hanroth assembled a great fleet of the a great fleet in response to Jumagunda, um, boasting not only the finest ships that the dockyards of Baca and uh, Sodramund could provide, but also space marine battle barges and a loose alliance of vessels from smaller worlds. Jumagunda at this point is bloated with biomass stolen from its conquests and was united in a single purpose, while Hanroth's fleet was a fractious congregation of vessels. Yet, the Imperial fleet at the core of Hanroth's force was as disciplined and experienced as any in the Imperium. Hanroth himself led this fleet into the heart of the swarm from the bridge of the Grand Cruiser Crusade. Uh, Telepathica officers located crucial node ships in the hive mind's uh, synapse web, uh, many at the cost of their own sanity, and these were blown apart by furious volleys from the Crusade and its escort vessels. Larger hive ships were boarded by Space Marine strike teams from the Death Spectres chapter, um, and little by little, Jormungandr was torn apart, but not before it had destroyed three quarters of Hanroth's fleet. 
a very bloody battle indeed. The Death Spectres, the uh, Space Marine chapter run does. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. There you go. That's quite cool. Um, but yeah, so that's kind of uh, the last real big battle, I think, for Jormagunda. Just this giant space battle, and they end up destroying three quarters of the Imperium's fleet. So it's a very costly one. The legacy of Jormagunda, which is quite, quite, quite scary. Um, despite its destruction, Jormagunda would have two lasting impacts on the galaxy. The first was psychological. Jorgamunda's invasion was considerably deeper into the Galactic North than any previous high fleet. They say the biggest blow by invading home or, or invading a home or a country is um, that it means it can happen again. Um, this means that all defenders of the galaxy would have to watch their borders, not just the Eastern Rim like normal. The second was uh, was far more creepy, in my opinion, due to the nature of the fleet. Uh, nature of the fleet, they burrow, they dig deep. They hide and wait thousands of, uh, they, they hide and wait. So that means thousands of Jorgamunda's children still sleep beneath the soil of a hundred worlds, just waiting for the right moment to awaken. Laying dormant uh, since their defeat, they were stirred to life once more with the invasion of High Fleet Leviathan. Uh, on the, the, the Imperial world of Oblitrax was the worst hit and its population eventually be, uh, was consumed. Uh, of course, um, great high fleets deserve praise and admiration. Jorgamunda's case, it's the form of the sons of Jorgamunda. Um, the sons, as they call themselves, come from a uh, come from loads of infestive space stations uh, that stretch across the Black Nebula. They worship the ideology of the coming of the high fleet that coils um, through th the Thrasus sector, using the relative privacy of orbiting space stations uh, to mask their spread. The sons prepare for the day when their patron, Jorg uh, the patron Jorgamunda, reclaims its lost patriarch, and in doing so, swallows the sector whole. So just thinking out loud, they obviously know about a patriarch is there, uh, which following cult, genes to the cult rules or law means that the hive is probably still alive and it's waiting for, to be called by the, by the patriarch. So Jorgamunda does indeed live. Yes, indeed. And that's, that's good writing, right? Because now, as a 40k player, and this kind of bleeds into our next kind of mini segment within the segment of our On the Tabletop, you can not only relive some of those battles we've talked about, but actually go, this is the reawakened might of Jormagunda. And that's my force that I'm running. You know, you can bring it into the present day of 40k, whether you use Gene Steeler Cult actual models or whether you go, cool, here's my high fleet. I'm going to paint them up in the scheme and I'm going to use the rules, um, the high fleet adaptations. And this is them reawoken. So this is them in kind of a new age as 40k law is pushing forwards. Anyway, so the question is how to make your high fleet Jormagunda unique to any other army of the Tyranids. So we're going to talk about the colour scheme. We're going to talk about obviously their rules and how that adapts maybe your list choices and then finish with kind of the units you may want to include law-wise, but also in terms of effective effective games shall we say uh so yeah first do you want to talk about the color scheme yeah so jorgamunda itself is uh a uh uh oh god where is it? i swear i wrote this down high fleet jorgamunda uh high fleet jorgamunda's uh color scheme are black skin and yellow carapace now different people's uh take on that and different people's um opinions will shine through in their own color schemes but the the, the common one and and um what GW sell is is a is a black skin with a yellow carapace, um, which is even cooler when you think about their uh, Gene Sealer cult, 
who are um, yellow, like yellow fatigues, um, and then black armor, which is really cool. I like that. It's almost mirroring-ish. But flipped. You would have thought they would have gone with black trousers and then yellow oh, armor to yeah. mirror it completely. But... <laughs> yeah. So when you said mirrored, I was like, what are you talking about? <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, no, it's, it's, it's a crazy color scheme. I remember seeing it, I think, first in a white dwarf and just mm. being like, that's amazing, but I am never painting that. Well, it's not, um, it's just the same. Surely it's just the same as um, uh, almost the same as Imperial Fist with yellow. Like after painting Tyranids, the the the, the is actually the easiest bit. Yeah, but painting black and yellow in like such large quantities and on models that are hard to paint, like painting Tyranids is such a pain compared to painting something smooth like a space marine. Um, GW uh, or Warhammer TV did a how to paint Chogamundo oh, cool. um, tutorial, which uh, which was pretty good. Like it, it, it was, it's quite simple, but they use um, they use Dawnstone, Dawnstone Dry, Avalon Sunset, Agrax Earth and Screaming Skull. Um, so it's quite a, a mix. But they, it, it, I liked when they went through and did all the high fleets because, or did a lot of the high fleets because it is just base coat black, dry brush, Dawnstone Grey. And then kind of building up the colours from there. Like yeah, the no, I mean, you can take it as simple as you want, right? Like I've seen some really good ones where people have just basically painted them black, um, done some like you know splash of colour, whether it's edge highlighting on the uh, carapace or whether it's like blotches, um, like poison dart frog beetle kind of style. Yeah, um, and then gloss them so they look shiny, like yeah. beetles. And cool. that looks really cool. That's how I would do it. I just sent you a photo actually of a beetle that's um, on Discord um, that's in black and it's got that bright green kind of pattern on it. And that's how I would probably try and do Jumagunda. So it's not just how is that? It. How is that easier? That's way easier. No, it's that's not. Just... They they literally have black skin and yellow carapace. Yeah, it's not blotchy. Are you thinking of a different one? No. High high Jumagunda so... is just yeah, just black skin and yellow yellow carapace. Okay, they've updated it. So, I yeah, they've they've simplified it. Did they used to uh, was they was it different before? Because the old school, it's not black. It's more panned and edged rather than his yellow armor. They're black with patterned. Oh, yeah, it doesn't look like that anymore. Yeah, that's that's what I'm thinking of Jugamunda. So that's interesting. Let's talk about that. So um, yeah, um, they seem to have updated uh, Jugamunda kind of retconned, I guess, in their artwork and made it yellow carapace with the black, what, what do you call the other area? Body. Skin. Skin. <laughs> uh, skin, body area, yeah, legs and head and stuff. Um, the the classic, shall I say, in inverted commas, Jumagunda Dur- uh, that I'm thinking of is all black, the black carapace, black skin, but um, edge highlighted almost in yellow with patterns of yellow. Um, so that's why I said that doing it like blotchy, like the beetle, would be easier. <laughs> but, yeah, I, I remember seeing it like that that color. But I, everything I'm looking at, I've looked at and research and stuff, has always just been black. Maybe that maybe it's what people have done for like their larger models. Because actually, having like if you think about like a um, a Morlock or a, a flyer, like a big monstrous creature, having just yellow carapace is like insane. Like like would just be so much yellow. Like and actually having the large scale ones. Uh, having the blotchy and having the, the 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 bold lines on on the big models would would look really good, um, but I think the 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 little the little gribblies 
that we call them um just for the pictures that i've seen always just have the yellow the, the block yellow but i, I think okay. that, that's kind of almost the beauty of of something organic right something like tyranids where actually you can go super insane like so your your scheme is the 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 lines isn't it the green lines um, yeah i regret that i might change it and it, it's insane you can go insane but when you've got like two squads of 30 like absolutely screw that like no way yeah like, that's yeah, that, that's maybe what they've done maybe they haven't retconned it maybe it's just different units have different colors their main color schemes are black and yellow so people yeah. have obviously gone super almost poetic licenses of 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 having that scheme and on the big ones putting in super detail um and then on the little ones like you, you've painted hormigans haven't you it's just you get to a point where you're like yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm done i don't want to paint these anymore yeah, yeah so that's why i was saying about the 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 beetle thing that I, I posted up and you just google like exotic colored beetles or something like bright colored beetles and yeah. you kind of see um there's ones that are kind of dark colors with bright spots on them kind of to avoid things eating them mm. um and actually I, i'd kind of look at maybe doing like a, a brace spray a spray a black spray a, a gray like dry brush light dry brush just hitting all the edges and then I'd probably look to do um, yellow, let's keep it traditional, yellow blotches, which you could go mad on and do some crazy cool patterns on the bigger ones. And on the little ones, just do a couple of dots just for speed and then gloss them so they're like shiny. And then just go in afterwards and do like the teeth and the eyes so they're not shiny. Um, and I think that would be much quicker and would be really um, eye-catching as well. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, that's, not anything, that's how right? I would do it. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, Should we go into the rules? Yeah, how do, do you want to go through how they, uh, their special rules they have? Yeah, so they have um, basically one, you know, high fleet adaptation. Um, Krakens is that um, they run on 3D6. Um, I can't remember what it's called. Uh, for Jogamunda, it's tunnel networks. Uh, a unit with this adaptation, other than units that can fly, so no winged things, uh, always have the benefit of cover for the purposes of shooting attacks. If the unit advances or charges, however, it loses the benefit of this adaptation until the start of your next movement phase. So uh, they're much more survivable than other um, Tyranid high fleets is really the strength there. Um, you know, tunnel networks may make your Tyranid's army a little bit slower, um, but being able to claim a bonus of cover save anywhere on the board is so worthwhile. Um, this is obviously uh, was very, very strong in 8th edition because cover would just give you a 1 plus save. So you'd end up with like Gene Steelers with extended carapace getting a 3 up save. You'd end up with an Exocrine or other monster creatures that have a 3 up save having a 2 up save um, as long as they're in cover or basically anywhere on the board. Um, uh, it just seems like a, a go-to high fleet adaptation if you're playing more defensively and slower. Like lots of people play very uh, quick attacking Tyranids, overwhelm the uh, opponent. That's how I play my Tyranids. Um, this has a slightly different change to that, where actually you're going, well, actually, I want to stay in cover because I've got line of sight to you and I've got to up save and my shooting is going to do damage. My only concern with that style of play is that Tyranid shooting isn't always the best because they don't have the best ballistic skill. 
bottom, you get a high rate of hits uh, that miss. Uh, sorry, I was just scrolling down. Uh, that's just me. Yeah. Um, yeah, one thing to consider that fits the law and obviously the rules is using like trigons because they can get around that less mobility because a trigon pops up and you leave a tunnel behind that other units can come up through. Which will be really cool, especially with looking at how they they always go to ground they always bury in tunnel so yeah having that almost come always coming from there or or the morlocks yeah. morlocks popping out from the underground would be so doing cool. damage yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I think you've got two ways of doing them really and i think if you're looking more law like and this is kind of bleeding into our key units to maybe run with that these high fleet rules mm. um yeah morlocks popping up doing damage trigons coming up obviously being a problem because it's a big monstrous creature but also allowing other units to follow it um almost giving you these kind of terrain markers where things can appear um and having gene stealers raveners kind of running around using cover getting the benefits of the cover and charging when it's quite a good likelihood of charging and getting a successful charge um so it doesn't matter if you're not going to get your bonus of cover save because you're in combat at that point um, tactically, I think people would take more gun-heavy units. So you'd take uh, biovores for artillery or hive guard, um, which don't need line of sight to the targets they're shooting at. But if you put so you can put them in terrain, they're they're covered. And even if something comes after them from behind, um, you know, deep striking in or, or just wrapping around that building or whatever they're hiding in, they've still got that higher cover safe. Yeah, got a better. I don't know how this high fleet adaptation will work with uh, 9th edition um, because it's not just a flat. You get a plus one armor save from what I hear. Um, so, yeah, it, may, it might be weaker. It may be just as strong. I don't know. But um, I, I think a mix of shooting units that can benefit from being in cover and having good saves, um, as well as these kind of popping up units like Trigons, Raveners, Morlocks, is is the way you kind of represent this side fleet on the tabletop. I like that. Cuz so the 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 new terrain rules are really good. I watched a video on it the other day about how they work and mini war, it was mini wargaming so how their interpretation of them uh, their interpretation yeah. of them are. Um so if it always gets it, it I guess there's a bit about being tall and being short and and so i'm, I'm guessing they're going to faq that because it would make sense um but yeah no it, i i i think they are really cool on 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 um in terms of their fluff and background and and i guess it's a bit of a weird one because because they have been and air quotes defeated um yes it, it, it would be really interesting to do like a gene sealer cult force with them or doing like almost a uh a pure deep strike or tunneling version um of the force and having them in having them bury up or tunnel up would be really really cool thematically um i don't know they, they seem yeah i just don't know if it would be that strong in terms of actual gameplay yeah but it's still, turn cool. up and, it's still a cool you can turn up and charge now can't you yeah 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 um i, I mean it's a bit of a weird one because we're obviously on the cusp of ninth so uh, which actually yeah. came out today, I guess. Actually, the rule book came out today, so yeah, I guess, yeah, I guess people are now playing ninth. 
Yeah, so maybe we should stop talking about ninth. <laughs> stop talking about eighth. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah, we probably should. But yeah, I think I think your key units that you highlighted um, that stand out during for the high fleet rules, uh, Morlocks, Trigons, Ravenous, Gene Stealers would be really good for for the theme. Um, and then having those Hormigants and Termigants flooding out of the tunnels afterwards, I think would be uh, a really good way of, of of showing off this this high fleet. Yeah. Yeah, and then with the reserve rules for ninth as well, where you know you can come on from board edges as well, and, and all that stuff would uh, uh, have interesting kind of uh, connotations. Because having a brood of raveners that maybe popped up somewhere else and then have come in on your right flank still would feel very thematic. Yeah. Um. So you you don't have to just rely on the tunnels. Um. Same as like uh, using my set explores to bring down carnifexes, for example. Yeah. That was something literally mentioned in our uh, kind of spotlight of the law. And actually, that could be quite useful because they could pop pop down, uh, you know, turn two or three, I think they can start coming in um, with the new rules and then just cause mayhem while you've already got things popping up everywhere and outflanking. And it could be a very mobile un- uh, force in your face. Or again, you could use it tactically to um, better um, give a better defense to your shooting units as well. Yeah. Mm. Oh, cool. That's the high fleet in a nutshell, really. Yeah. So we're going to take a quick break and then come back with our final segment, uh, which is the 30K Book Club, which is being run by Matt, which is quite exciting. Want to stroke Sam's ego so I don't have to as much? Then please leave the Adepsis Terror podcast an iTunes review if that's the platform in which you listen to them on. The reviews do help them to at least attempt to do better and it does make their little faces light up when they see the five stars. So do the right thing and leave them a review. Thank you. Am I done? No. Welcome back. This is the final segment of the 30K Book Club this month. Um, I'm kind of marshalling this segment because uh, it's my turn. And we looked at the book No, No Fear by Dan Abner. And they show um, no, no fear. Indeed. Perfect uh, title when you're covering the Ultramarines. It's kind of a, a thing that they're kind of known for. Um, that's known, no, no fear. No, no, no fear. <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, so I'm just going to go through our kind of normal format. Um, we're going to go through the synopsis of the book, kind of what's the story about um, very quickly, uh, go through the characters and then kind of go through some of the main themes and things that stood out to us through the book. Um, this time around, rather than following individual characters like we've done before or literally going chapter by chapter, we're kind of going in their part system. So the book itself, uh, at least on Audible, um, had part one, part two, part three which had a, a group of chapters in them. So we're going to break it down in those parts. Uh, I'm going to share kind of my thoughts, feelings, things that stood out to me, and then Sam's going to kind of interject with his experience as well. Um, so, yeah, I'm looking forward to, to covering the book. I think before I sat down right now to do this segment, I was overly critical of this book. But actually, if someone asked me for a brush stroke, how did I feel? I think it's better off than what may come across in this thing but we'll see how we go um it'll be nice to hear kind of your opinion and whether it kind of sides with me or not uh in this um so yeah i'm looking forward to it lead away mcduff 
<laughs> cool. So the synopsis, the basic synopsis of the book is unaware of the wider heresy, Gulliman returns to Ultramar to muster his legion for war against the orcs massing in the Viridia system. Uh, these are the orders from the War Master himself. Uh, their supposed allies are the Wordbearers Legion, who actually launch a devastating invasion of Kalf. This confirms the worst scenario Gulliman can imagine. Uh, Lorgar aims to settle their bitter rivalry uh, once and for all, as the traitors summon demonic hosts and all the forces of chaos. The Ultramarines are drawn into a grim and deadly struggle in which neither side can prevail without losing much in which they once had. And that's kind of the story, really, a, a kind of a, a treacherous betrayal um, to the Ultramarines and looking at it really from their perspective. It's an Ultramarine book. Yes, um, and there so, is definitely themes of that running throughout the entire book. Yes, there are indeed. Um, so we're going to look at the characters now, um, just a brief kind of uh, overview of who they are and, and, and how they come across in the book. Um, there are lots, lots more. Like in the front of the heresy novels, you get a list of literally, here are all the people in the Ultramarines, here are all the word bearers, here are all the Imperial Army. Um, this is a, uh, a smaller list of kind of the more main characters or important characters. There's one or two that actually don't have much time in the book, but are quite important um, to the story. So first we start with Primarch Reboot Gulliman, or Gilliman, or Robot Girly Man, as I like to call him. Um, he comes across in this book very precise and dry, um, uh, kind of matter-of-fact and stern. Um, he has a few moments of uh, obviously emotion and anger, which is really cool. Um, we'll kind of get into that as we get into the book. But um, yeah, not too much. I wasn't surprised by the way he was portrayed in the book. He kind of met how I pictured Gulliman being. Uh, I don't know about you, Sam, but yeah, nothing jumped out at me as, oh, that's strange. Um, I've read more books with Gulliman in. Uh, so yeah. it, I don't know. It, it's, I don't know. What kind of, we'll talk about it later, actually, don't we? <laughs> it's in my critiques of the book. Yeah, fair enough. Uh, then there's uh, obviously the Primark Lorgar Aurelian. Um, he doesn't really appear much in the book. Um, he's just too much of an important character kind of, to kind of mention. You don't get much character moments from him in this book. Uh, it's not his book. Well, he's not actually there, is he? No. Which he's is kind of talking through the warp. Yeah, using one of the, the warpy things. Yeah. Um, but yeah, in those conversations, you don't get much of any kind of character. It's just him talking very matter-of-factly, isn't it? No, there is that really, really good exchange between him and Gulliman like after the initial event, which which I thought was really yes. cool, and and it's almost yeah, like yeah, that's definitely a highlight. It's, okay, cool. We we'll talk about it there. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Uh, so next we have Captain Remus Ventanus, um, quite a reflective captain, uh, particularly on the role of Space Marines once the Crusade is over. So early in the book, they spend quite a lot of time. Well, I say quite a lot of time, a bit of time, talking about you know that Space Marines have been you know are going to have to rule and govern and take part in more politics because the war will be finished. And that's kind of the the wishes of the Primarch. Um, uh, Captain Remus Ventaris is kind of a bit more comfortable with a bolter in his hand. He's a bit more of a warrior. Um, he kind of admits to uh, his sergeant and just to himself, really. Uh, he ends up being one of the real stories, uh, real stories, real heroes of the story. Um, one of my favourite characters from the book, certainly. Uh, you then have Chapter Master Marius Gage. 
Um, he's very much a true ultramarine. Uh, he's a chapter master for a reason, I guess. Um, he's a no-nonsense stickler for titles. He gets very upset when someone doesn't refer to Horus as the War Master. Um, uh, just says Horus and doesn't use his full name or anything and gets very wound up about that. Uh, he has a proper order of things and things must be done in a certain way. Um, he actually gets quite shaken in the book as well um, after being kind of confronted by a warp beast. And uh, yeah, seeing that kind of, uh, he kind of clings to his sense of order and things needing to be the right way where other ultramarines are adapting to the chaos around them uh, better, I would say, than him. Yeah, Gage comes across as one of the closest in the Legion to Gulliman, at least at what we see in the book. Um, and yeah, they kind of talk a bit more on an equal footing. Uh, not that Gage would obviously put himself at equal footing, but Gulliman allows him to talk to him as if they're old friends. You know, they're, they're uh, comrades at arms. They are experienced um, uh, war generals. And actually, they talk like they address each other with respect, which is really cool. Um, we next get uh, Sergeant Aniod Thiel. Um, he's to be censured. He's kind of been naughty in terms of the ultramarine standards. So his um, his censure is actually really interesting. Um, yes, and worth talking about. Well, it's very ironic, really, isn't it? Yeah. So do you mention it later on in your notes, or um, I might do, but I'm, here's a perfect place to talk about it. So, so, so his his censure is um, being the true ultramarine that he is. Uh, he is court calculating um how to deal with threats uh and and he 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 says that when he's questioned on it he says well i've i've he's caught calculating the threat of space marines and other legions um and and how to be best deal with those legions um which when he is caught uh he is censured for treason um and uh he is expecting to be sent uh, to, to to be punished for that treason because uh, he, and his reason that he gives is quite interesting. He says that it's we. I've calculated the threat of all other races that we have come across and we know about, um, and and space marines are the best um, in 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 all of those warring factions. So we can't let ourselves down by not calculating what to do or how we would deal with space marines attacking space marines. And yeah. to his to his captain, because uh, he's a sergeant in the it's really weird, they get like twelfth of the sixth or whatever it is. Um yeah, hundred and fifth, I think it was. Yeah, so he he he's caught by his captain and 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 sent to his captain to be um to be interviewed about why he did that. Um and he never quite makes it. Um No, he's supposed to have a meeting with uh uh Gulliman, isn't he? Gulliman yeah. goes like, I'll do this one. <laughs> um uh but it never gets there because things Take a bit of a awry. weird turn, but it, it's it's quite it's quite interesting that the way that they deal with that is rather than accepting that is that space marines are a threat to be calculated about and and, and thought about, um, they're just like, well, that's just impossible. So you're being yeah. punished for even thinking about it because it's treason. Yeah, um, I think there's a lot of themes in this book uh, early on that recall the kind of feeling of like book one and two of the heresy, Horus yeah. Rising, and you know like. There is no way this will ever happen. Space Marines will never fight Space Marines. There's no such thing as warp beasts. Um, yeah, all that stuff gets reimagined in this happening. Um, and yeah, so Thor, uh, Thiel, sorry, uh, in the book, he's really just kind of a great warrior. He ends up taking a, a great big longsword um, from the armory um, 
and uh, yeah, just wields it like a, a maniac, and he's he's uh, a cool character in amongst all the other space uh, space marines that don't get much time in the book. So he kind of stands out because of his inquisitiveness and choosing to question things that people would deem heretical, but actually were rather wise in the end. Yeah. Um, next, we get a pairing that, um, well, one doesn't last very long and the other one doesn't have much time in the book. But it's uh, Luciel of the Ultramarines. Uh, he's a captain and uh, a word bearer by Soret Chore. Um, and they're good friends. They're talking on, I think, one of the space stations early in the book. Um, and they, they're a bit of an oddity between the two legions. They actually respect each other. They're teaching each other on the same level. Uh, Chure even says he kind of admires the Ultramarines and the way they fight. Um, and Lucio is kind of commenting on how Chure is very wise and learn, uh, learned. Um, and ultimately, Chure has to choose his legion over his comrade. Um, and ends up being quite matter-of-fact about it. He kind of almost becomes a very villainous character just due to how he's kind of like, well, that was that. Because when you first meet them, they're, they're talking in such kind of friendly terms and they point-blank shoot him in the face. Like, it's just mad. Um, he becomes a villain very quickly. Yeah. Um, but yeah, and that moment will probably come up again in our, in our talking. But Yeah, uh, he has that two... kind of, he almost like a bit of a mental break. And he's he's trying to explain what he's about to do, and the captain's like, yeah. "Whatever do you mean, brother?" And he's just like, "It's time." Yeah, I <laughs> wish you would know, bang. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah he, he, I think he's the first one to mention Isfahan as well, which has obviously happened in the timeline. Yeah, um, but the Ultramarines are unaware of that. Um, but yeah, I remember when those two were introduced and reading it and being like, "Okay, cool. These guys maybe are going to be." very interesting like is Chure going to side with the Ultramarines or is Lucio going to be corrupted or like and it was much much quicker than I thought it was going to be yeah um yeah you have Corfeiron in this book as well he's probably the only other word bearer really mention uh, worth mentioning um there, there's a few that do some stuff but they're not super important no. um Corfeiron is really the authority over the word bearers on the ground he's leading this assault um He's got a very staunch faith in Lorgar, uh, which isn't surprising if you know any of his backstory. Um, uh, but he does seem arrogant, and he's kind of punished for that in the book, I think, um, which, again, we'll kind of get to, to why I think that. But, um, yeah, he's kind of this old, grumpy space marine who wants to kill the Ultramarines, and that's kind of his character in the book, really. Not much deeper than that. Um, the last two I wanted to mention, again, that have, like, zero... well. One of them is more important to the book than the other, I guess. Uh, Mechanicum Magos Mir Taren. Um, very straight to the point, as you expect a Mechanicum character to kind of be. Um, you know, always weighing up figures and facts rather than emotional reactions. Um, very key to the story's progression and the resistance on Kalth. Um, but you don't get much character development other than one moment where she talks about her kind of she uses the term life partner um, and she'd say the Mechanicum don't use terms like that, but she was trying to explain it to um, Ventara, uh, Ventanas um, of how she lost her kind of life partner, mentor, and um, that was what was driving her to fight on, um, which was quite a cool character moment. But other than that, she's just kind of this Mechanicum Magos who's there and yeah. useful. There's a, a, like, like a lot of heresy books, there's a lot of characters that are just 
just there. Yeah, I mean, I put her in because she's very important, right? Like, yeah, when we get towards the later parts of the book, she's the reason stuff happens. Yeah, yeah. and I know that's very um, lack of information, but it makes sense so we're not repeating ourselves. Yeah. Um, and last, we have Tylos Rubio, who appears for like maybe two sentences of the book. But he's a very important character in the heresy and in the wider heresy. So it's worth kind of mentioning. Um, he's a codicier, but now obviously under a Nikea, he's an ordinary ranked ultramarine. Um, the book tells us that he's going to be okay, which I thought was an interesting way of writing him into the book for a couple of sentences. Um, obviously, if you've listened to other things, and I say listened because originally it's the Oath of Moment audio drama, which is like the Garrow series. Uh, you know this character already when you pick up this book. Uh, Oath of Moment was out like two years prior to this book, um, initial release. So if you're going through the the chronological and reading it as released, you would know who this character was. So a couple of sentences of him in there and us telling them he's going to be okay, uh, basically saying he's going to reflect back that he had a weird feeling that something was going on um, in the warp, uh, but said nothing because of the Nikea stuff. And that remorse will hound him until he meets his grave many years later, yeah. knowing that he's not going to die in this engagement. Um, now, if you've never read um, or listened to Oath of Moment and didn't know that the character's much bigger in terms of he joins Garrow and becomes part of the founding fathers, basically, of the Grey Knights. Um, spoiler. <laughs> um then that might be a bit of a weird thing to have in there. Like, oh, this guy's going to live for many years later, it says. Yeah. Like, okay. But then he doesn't appear again, which is weird. Like, it's just a weird sentence that kind of goes, we expect you to know who this person is. They were there. Job done. Well, it's like John Grammaticus in this, isn't it? Yeah, he appears once because it's a name that you recognise to get you on board with all person, who actually yeah. I didn't put in, but I should probably mention. If he's quite um, important, I, I feel. Yeah, I mean, again, in this book, like, you needed to put it somewhere, so it goes in this book. Yeah, um, yeah. And but, also, his way of getting yeah. off of the planet is pretty insane. Yes, well, and, and the weapon that he uses is very important later on. Yeah. Um, you also didn't include the uh, Tetrarch. No, well, again, he's barely in it. Yeah, but he's quite... He's a cool character, but that's about it. I, I mean, him. you tell us about the Tetrarch if you would like uh he is there he talks about the reason that it kind of stuck out to me is because he talks about um the library that they're building on oh, okay yeah on, on the planet and and the fact that every every planet he's ever been to always talks about how this is the center of all knowledge and how yeah. they have them they have the mightiest knowledge base and he's like we're just building another mighty knowledge base that is ultimately ultimately important but this will be the most important one like he kind of um, I think reflects on the fact that currently it's it's empty and he's being interned in there like he he's being honored. Um no, it was it was good and, and he has uh he has quite a lot of connection with Telemachus, which is the dreadnought um of the Ultramarines, yeah. which is which is quite important later on. Yeah, kinda. Um just the fact that his sarcophagus was thrown out of space to the surface. Uh, yeah, I, again I have an issue with it that part. Because his sarcophagus is thrown out, but then all of a sudden he's in a he's in a dreadnought chassis. Yeah, that's very true. Like, and there's no co- complication. There's as no to, like as to how he got in the chassis. Yeah, or, yeah, yeah, yeah. Unless they actually meant that he fell as a an asleep dreadnought in the chassis, 
and used the wrong terminology. No, it said it says uh, his transport ship was destroyed and his containment sarcophagus plummeted to the surface. Yeah, which so, is just the middle part, right? Yeah. So how did he get into the? Yeah, that is, uh, there's lots of that in this book that winds me up. But that's how good, bad, and ugly. So let's get into the book. Go. On. Um, so part one. Uh, this part is really setting the stage and the attitudes and characters. Um, you know, they're going to be important to our stories and others that are going to get killed off quicker than we thought. Um, and yeah, it's just building towards that. We start with Gulliman's kind of records and the book kind of follows these records uh, loosely. You kind of get eventually into the book and it is following the characters having conversations that obviously Gulliman wasn't present for and has heard about now recording. Um, but it starts with very much him, you know, almost dictating these records. Um, and it's a, a record of what had happened. Um, I thought it was very interesting and different, but I didn't think it was massively enjoyable as an opening. Um, these early chapters, you know, are just kind of setting up the tragedy to come. You, you know, and again, if you know your, your heresy law, which by the time you're reading this book, you probably do Hopefully. know that, that Kalth gets attacked. Hopefully. Um, yeah, I mean, you might not be, and then in some ways that's a cool kind of reveal right and the whole book's a surprise but i think most people reading this book know that this happens this event happens and this is just the telling of that event um so yeah and then it kind of reveals that calf is being set up to be an important um world it's going to be a uh, kind of an extended uh network of ruling planets over the 500 worlds of ultrama um which kind of just builds upon that tragedy of it getting wrecked in this book um, we get recurring mentions of the beliefs that Gulliman has about space marines being rulers after the war is done. Um, we get a really interesting scene where the chapter masters seem to challenge Gulliman more openly than other legions. Um, it's not just his one or two that are part of like a Mordeval or like the most trusted aid. Um, it just seems all the chapter masters are just openly in conversational. Um, it's not awkward, like, oh, someone just spoke out against the Primarch. But it's not brotherly either. They're not doing it in a kind of casual way. It's just very systematic. It's almost like specifically set up by the Ultramarines, by Gulliman, to make sure every voice is heard, so every uh, potential outcome has been thought of. Which, I just again, it painted that picture of how the Ultramarines operate, um, which I thought was was really good. Um, uh, as I say, the book's focused on the Ultramarines Legion. You know, you get some of their characters laid out for them. They have this phrase, information is victory, which is kind of thrown around as well in the book. Um, did you pick up on that? Like it's said quite a lot all the way through the book. Information is victory. Yeah. Uh, not overly. Okay, really stood out to me. for uh, yeah, Just, it, it, it screams the way they but work. There, right? there, there is a, all the way through, there's always the, like the way the I think there was a moment where Gilliman was on his bridge taking in information. First, he was, they were talking about how, oh, he probably didn't notice or he thought that his captains would think that he didn't notice the the change in speed of, of, of this ship yeah. and, and all that kind of stuff. So it's very clear, especially with Ultramarines themselves, that um, they love inhaling information and, and, and just using all that information and, and mentally processing it to then deliver an outcome. So whilst... I did pick up on the fact that information is is power or whatever. Um, uh, in in terms of the words, it's very clear throughout all of this. Like, there's even a moment where I think one of them later on 
one of the Legion says that perhaps it's time to let our emotions uh, our emotions take a better of us and go and just attack through raw, uh, through raw anger. And he's like, and another Hulkman turns to him and says, no, we need to take that into, they'll take that into consideration when, when they're doing this. We need to measure our response adequately to the situation and not let ourselves become animals. Um, yeah, and, and not drop the standards that Gulliman set. Yeah. And they use lots of words, kind of, again, that come up like tacticals, theoreticals and practicals. Yeah. And that's how they operate. They kind of go, cool, right, what's our tactical situation? What theoretically can we do? And let's look at every option. Yeah. And then let's and then out of that we will choose the practical that makes the most sense. Yeah. And and it's just very cut and dry, very systematic. And they're doing that in the heat of battle. It was really impressive to see. It did make me kind of go, oh, the Ultramarines fight very, very well. You know, very well-oiled machine. Thinking outside of the box, but choosing the best form of action every single time. Um, and I actually, when I think about the, the story that unfolds and all the massacre and the craziness, I don't know if another Legion would have bounced like they did and actually achieved as much as they did. It's not a victory at all. It also helps the fact they have like a billion Marines. Yeah, they are one of the biggest legions for reasons that we will not discuss right now. <laughs> um, but yeah, it also explored, part one explored this tough spot. And it was only brief, but it, it grabbed me. Um, of the Ultramarines, you know, that tough spot that they were put in where they had to censure the word bearers. Then they went with the Emperor. So this is on Monarchia. So this, um, is, because, they, this is all because the, the word bearers were taking too long to to conquer worlds because they were going in and almost installing the emperor as a god there um so they yeah. were told you basically need to pick it up and you need to 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 to, to do a better job a faster job of what you're doing um and it was i don't think it was so much overtly about the fact they were worshiping the, worshiping the emperor i think that played a part but i i think a, a large proportion of it was around they're taking so long to start to, to 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 establish worlds yeah, I, I think that was the in, initial issue. But then actually once the Emperor got hold that they're pushing against the whole science is truth, you know, everything he hangs his um, uh, picture on, that he was like, right, we need to teach them a lesson, which is when the Ultramarines come in and basically burn their city to ashes. And um, why they paint the themselves grey. Yeah, that's where they kneel in the... Um, in the dust, like they have to kneel in penance in front of the emperor, um, and so yeah, so they get a load of grey on them. Um, but yeah, so it was really interesting how they talked about that kind of being a a, a tough spot for the Ultramarines, and they didn't choose that; they weren't happy about doing it. And how the, actually this this gathered force was about mending that bond that was once strained, which was obviously shattered in truth. Um, yeah, and them kind of wanting to repair the damage that was caused because of that act um, and almost be a bit like, well, we didn't really want to do it, but we had to follow our Emperor's orders. And I hadn't thought about it that much before. I was just like, oh, well, the Ultramarines didn't really care. They seemed that they almost regretted that they were used in such a way, which, I, yeah, I thought was an interesting thing that I hadn't thought of before. Um uh, part one ends with Chore, as I've already talked about, shooting his friend Lucio in the chest and then the face. Um, and here we go. It is literally the, the kind of the start. 
We've got um, sacrifices happening on the planet with the cults that are based there and are landed there in uh, disguise of being part of the um, Imperial Army regiments that the World Bearers brought. And they're starting to sacrifice um, volunteers and they create some sort of scrap code out of that, which is a bit mad. It's a bit heebie-jeebie, don't really understand what's going on. Yeah. But that scrap code is very, very important. Yeah, I didn't really get that. Like, I get, I get that that the scrap code exists and why why it was there, and and I don't understand how them singing caused the scrap code. So they were, um, so they were getting volunteers to read words, which I'm guessing have power that was it. Yeah, into the box. Yeah, yeah. Um, and then the scrap once code. they start, like eyes are melting, they kill them as a mercy almost. Yeah, and yeah. then the next one comes up. And it's this whole words of weapons. There's power in words. The, words have magic. In there was them. a lot of there was a lot of rituals that took place. Yeah. So like crossing the circle with the remains of a of space marines in and mm. yeah okay. So it was the words yeah. that were going into the box that caused the scrap code. Okay. Yes. Yeah. yeah. It created kind of a sentient tech demon almost like <laughs> slightly weird but fine. Yeah. 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 To create something so unorthodoxly. It's dealt with in a very orthodox way, which I think was also a bit weird. Later on, it's just, we'll purge the scrap code rather than uh, this is something different, uh, which I thought was a bit odd. But yeah, um, part one ends with, hey, it's all about to kick off. The word bearers have turned, but no one's quite noticed yet. Right. And that, that's part one. Um, anything to add about part one that you can remember the early chapters? I just no. remember it being rather slow. Yeah, the the land speeder moment, that was part one, wasn't it? No, that's part two. Part two, then no. Yeah. That's fine. Yeah. So, and, and part two is really, here we go. Here's the start, right? You get the traitor's action that finally begins, and now there's mayhem. You know, when you're looking through the Ultramarine's point of view, suddenly ships are starting to explode. Um, uh, all sorts of craziness is happening. The defense grid has gone down due to the scrap code and is now actually in control and targeting um uh other ultramarine ships of the fleet um and it's started it starts being recorded in that emotionless record in terms of these resources re these resources were lost you know we lost this many men on this ship and we lost this much you know fuel on this ship and very kind of matter of fact detail detail um it's unique it's certainly unique and wasn't what I was expecting um and it does show the scale of the destruction but again it doesn't bring that kind of emotional connection for me into the story i wasn't like oh no the ultramarines are really suffering it was just like oh okay i don't know i didn't connect with it very well um and then it starts that whole common black library thing of jumping about so here we are in with this person and then we're with this person and then we're with this person <laughs> um but in this part it was much more effective because again, it shared that scale of all the chaos that was happening very well. And it was effective seeing across and above Kalth and how they were dealing with it. So you, you, know, you had the ground troops and just the massacre that was going on, the uh, word bearers opening up and killing ultramarines before they even knew what was happening, and you know, mass hordes of cultists ripping apart Imperial Army and even like you know, Titans that are turned um, and just craziness and then all of a sudden you jump up to space and there's 
you know, ships getting blown out of the sky, literally. Um, uh, in this part of the book, the only character that I really was engaged with was Ventardus um, and what he was doing. Um, so this is where we get him and his sergeant um, attacking the uh, cultists that are looking for uh, survivors and hunting, basically. And uh, Ventanus and um, Celaton is his sergeant. Um, come in and rip them apart and then kill the ward, which was a cataphracty Terminator uh, word bearer, I believe. That was pretty cool. That was like the first instance of the Ultramarines doing something after. And, uh, yeah, I, I love that scene. I think that's in my favourite bits. <laughs> um, uh, and Oh, yeah, yeah. So there's there's a bit where you kind of get that fighting with Ventanus. You're starting to get a bit of a foothold, trying to understand what's going on, um, trying to work out what the hell is go like happening. The world has turned upside down and brother is fighting brother and it's all chaos. And then they look up and there's a strike cruiser about to smash into the planet. And they're, and they're cuts. And you're like, no, what happens? Like, I want to go back to them. And it's jumped to someone else. Um, and yeah, it was really effective. Like that was the very first moment that I was like, "I'm into the I'm into the book." Yeah, uh, which was quite a few pages in. Like we're into the second part of the book, out of five, um, and this was the first moment where I was like, "I'm in invested in the story." So um, yeah, the overall feeling of this part of the book and and uh, the feeling of the attack that's made. Um, it's very similar to the feel of Isfahan 3 and 5. Like, how can this happen? It's hard to believe the treachery and the heresy of the traitors. Um, and it's just like, what is going on? There must be a reason for this. Um, and Gulliman is very much like, look, there must be a mistake. We aren't going to shoot back. Send this message on repeat. We need to get hold of Lorgar. We need to sort out the word bearers. It's the whole, they, they must be attacking us because they think we're attacking them or... They must be shooting because there's enemy we can't see, or like they're trying to rationalise why why they could yeah, be being attacked. Yeah, because it's so unthinkable that they're attacking. Yeah, you know, even with their past and the whole monarchy stuff. Which like, I guess to us is is we're already like this book is quite far into the heresy, so we know that it's not unthinkable because yeah. well, it's we've been reading about it for like twenty books. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. And, and uh, again, that weight of Gunnerman to make the order that this is, you know, we're going to return fire on the, uh, on the word bearers. This is deliberate and we need to start fighting back was quite uh, grabbing. Another moment where I was like, yeah, actually, I am invested in this. This isn't me just reading a textbook anymore. This is me involved in the story and connecting with the story. Um, and that, that's it for part two, really. It's kind of, it all starts off and the Ultramarines are getting massacred as well as all the civilians. And it's the confusion, isn't it? It's the it's the confusion about what's going on and, and the fact that actually they don't know what's happening. They don't, especially because the Ultramarines are cut off completely, um, lost power and, and, and trying to limp along a bit because they've just had a, a ship fly through the middle of their, yeah. uh, of, of their battle lines. Um, it's that kind of confusion before the storm, right? All right, there's some some fighting that's happened on the planet, but actually, not really. Yeah, it's, it's all kicking off. There's not anywhere near the death toll and craziness that it gets to. Um, yes, yeah, it's, it's the opening segments and the ultramarines, particularly, just kind of going and Gunnerman going like, "What is happening? This can't be real." 
yeah. have very much like in, in Isfahan 3, when the traitors first reveal themselves and wipe out half their own legions because they know they won't turn from the Emperor. Um, and the same on Isfahan 5, when the massacre starts, they turn around and suddenly uh, Iron Warriors start opening up into salamanders and you're like, what? Thinking of, um, what book was it that we did recently? The last 30K Hangout. The one where uh, Kurz tortures Vulcan. Vulcan lives. Vulcan lives, yeah. Um, yeah, like, you know, you got that sense of, like, you almost get restarted in the heresy. Like, this this book is is the start of the heresy for the Ultramans. They're not aware of his farm. They're not aware of the Horus' turn. And to be given that and trying to wrestle with whether that's true, what's going on, why are our brothers attacking us, is it our revenge, is there a bigger plot? Like, that's all part two. Um, and then really the rest of the book is now dealing with what has happened um, so part three and four I've kind of included together they seem to flow seamlessly into one another so much so that I can't actually recall where part four started um, so this is an uh, audible issue kind of you know you get part three and it'll say part three chapter one that's chapter nine of the book you know so trying to match it with the book is very difficult. I think you had that problem, didn't you, when you switched between the two? Yeah. Yeah, um, So, yeah, three and four kind of blended into one for me. So kind of is an oops, but I don't think it massively impacts this kind of uh, review of the book. No, um, no. Th- these parts is basically death everywhere. It's the escalation chunk of the book. Um, it's where we read of the planet-type extinction event, except it isn't because the planet isn't extinct, um, where a second capital ship hits the southern area on Kath, Um, and that's kind of deliberate by the word bearers because they're landing in the north. Um, so they've landed all their troops to the north, and that's where they're all gathering, and they're like, well, we can drop a ship on the southern side, and that wipes out all the resistance that's over there and the civilians. We don't care. We just want to crack the world apart. Um, and yeah, just kind of that devastation just instantly escalates. Do we ever um, get to why the word bearers did this? This is a this is to start bringing down. Okay, so is this the the, the purpose behind them doing this? Is it to cripple the ultramarines? Is it to start taking out the sector? Is it the to I, to, to punish twofold. them? So it's twofold. The first is to go there and create the ruin storm. So cutting off that part of the um, universe from terror so that reinforcements can't come from there. The other side of it is to cripple the ultramarines so much so that even if they started flying to terror and not using the warp, they would be useless because they've lost so much of their number. Oh, and there was also that line between Lorgar or or someone when they were saying about Gulliman is the... He can't. Horace can't do this with Gulliman here because he has yeah. too many. He has too. He, he has too much. He has the largest him. legion, and he's one of the best um, tactical minds that exists in the in the universe. Mm. So if we can silence him, even if we only damage the legion, if we can kill Gulliman, yeah, then that is one of the biggest threats of Horace, and and that's why you get you know in the Heresy is a wider thing. The space wars are sent off to the Eastern Fringe. Yeah, and, yeah. and also, also the uh, the fact that um, they're sowing dissent, right? Because Gellerman doesn't know which legions are loyal and which ones aren't. Therefore, yeah. he's less likely to help people out. And you can see that when the Blood Angels turn turn up at Ultramar, 
because yes. immediately there's like five or six strike cruisers there and he's like whoa what are you doing like yeah, yeah. power down yeah, we're coming aboard type thing like they don't know how loyal they are yeah or who's loyal and who's not yeah it's it's almost we we need to kill the ultramarines or or at worst cut them off from terror so they can't be an effective weapon against horus's plans that's that's why they're there um in this part of the book in part three and four we really see kind of the ultramarines trying to get a foothold and form some sort of resistance. They're trying to get a Vox network working so they can talk to each other again. They're trying to gather survivors um, so they can actually bring a fight to the word bearers and their followers. Um, and, and in this part, we actually see the, the I guess, the desperation and the uh, degradation of the Ultramarines, their pomp and their structure. This is where Sam kind of highlighted earlier where they're a bit like, actually, we want to just kill them. This is revenge. They've hurt us. They didn't kill us. That is their their mistake. And they get yeah. There's moments of them getting angry, very much like um, Gulliman. I'm like, I'm going to kill him. I'm going to kill him. I'm going to kill him. Um, and almost like the sense and the structure has been peeled away. Still there, but they're more concerned about just seeking revenge. And it takes you know certain level-headed people to bring them back from that parapet. Um, yeah, I think it was um, Ventanus who's, who's uh, talking with, is it Celaton or one of the other guys? I can't remember. They've got together now, uh, kind of forming a bit of a resistance. And they're like, let's just run at them. You know, who cares that they're eight to one? We will kill a load of them. Let's just go out and, you know, just tell them, show them that we're still here and we're going to make you bleed for what you've done. And uh, Ventanus is like, look, we have a high standard to live up to. Let's use strategy and that burning desire for vengeance and actually do something worthwhile. Yeah. I mean, I really like that idea. And actually, I think it paints a very powerful picture of the Ultramarines. Actually, even when they are surrounded by chaos and confusion, they're very centered, down to earth, forming good plans, but they still have that righteous anger. They're not robots. Right, which is a big kind of criticism of people. It's that trope of ultra. You know, it's like Dark Angels are heretics. Ultramarines have no character. You know, Imperial Fists are like mindless robots because they just sit on a wall. You know, the Space Wolves are savages. It's like there's some truth in that, but actually, there's so much deeper, cool stuff that that Legion represents and can do. And I really felt that in this part that the Ultramarines actually that that balance of strategy and vengeance was really kind of strong. Um, and we get that with Gulliman. You know, he's discussing that this is premeditated. This was planned. They um, they do something. I can't remember what it is, but they work out that actually the word bearers went to this one spot, and because of what they did there, meant that it was like dominoes. So this must have been premeditated and planned. Um, and he becomes very angry and almost starts sounding a bit like Russ. Just, I'm going to kill him. I'm going straight for the throat. Who cares about tactics? I don't care anymore. I'm going to kill him. And this is where we get our communication between the two Primarchs that you were talking about, Sam. Yeah. Um, so, you know, Lorgar uh, spills the beans of the news of the heresy to Gulliman. That it's not just him. Actually, it's bigger than you think. Horace has turned. So is Ful Fulgrim is with him and so-and-so is with him. And brothers are dead. And he shares that, you know, in in his 
knowledge at least um Vulcan's I, don't know why, dead. I don't know why he didn't lie to him at that point and be like sanguinius is with me yeah well i guess because he just was gloating right it's this arrogance that i think the word bearers kind of have as, as a kind of they need a chink in the armor like every legion does you know yeah yeah, yeah. like wolves are too hot-headed like that's the kind of their thing blood that's angels are too perfect yeah yeah right yeah um but yeah, they have kind of, I think he's just kind of gloating. So he doesn't need to lie because Gulliman's going to be dead soon. You know, it's that whole villain revealing the master plan because who cares? Um, but, but also without mentioning lots of other names, he leaves that um, that uncomfortability that actually who ha- who else has turned. Yeah. It's that whole, yeah. who do we know who's on our side? Yeah. Like I was who saying before, trust? like who do we trust and who can't we trust anymore? Yeah. But yeah, soon after that, we kind of get the demon heebie-jeebie for the first time. We, we've had the sacrifice stuff, but this is warp beast craziness where like the the bridge that Gulliman's on, like Lorgar's form kind of just suddenly turns into this crazy warp beast. And it, I thought it kind of just exploded originally. Because like the windows are blown out and Gulliman sucked into space and there's blood everywhere, and I was like, oh, okay, it was like a big giant bomb, um, yeah. And that's what well, that's what the beast was. Yeah. Um, that wasn't the case, but it's the first time we get some some demon activity in the book. Some demon action. Yeah. Um, oh, and Grammaticus turns up as well oh, <laughs> in this part of the book. John Effing Grammaticus. Yeah, it just turns up. He's yeah. I can't decide if I like him or not. Part of Which me, I think it's the point. Like, yeah, part of me gets what he's trying to achieve, and and it's almost like he doesn't believe in anyone else that anyone else can help. It's that whole we need to do this. The cabal have told me we need to get this done so that we don't, so the rest of the yeah. universe can survive or whatever. Yeah, is this a wor- is this a worthwhile point of talking about the importance of old person? Sorry, that's what. Uh, old, you know, old person, the other perpetual. I mean, I don't really get. Now. I don't really get. Like he basically goes and gets the knife and gets off the planet. Yes, so that is the knife that they have been told to use to kill Vulcan because it is one of the only weapons that will kill a perpetual. But I was, I thought that was like a super gold dagger spear thing. No, no, it's one of these anathane blades. Okay, so the anathane blade is the. The same same weapon. kind of weapon that they use to turn Horus. Okay, so what's the the spear thing that John, John Grammaticus takes to Ultramar? Uh, um, that's later in the thing. Uh, that is to revive Vulcan because he change has a change of heart. Oh, okay then. That makes more sense. So yeah. who, who's trying if to kill I, Vulcan I mean, then? Who's trying? Yeah. To, who wants the the blade to kill Vulcan? Uh, the Cabal. Right. So the Cabal have said to Grammaticus, you need to do this. And Grammaticus then enlists the help of old person who's retired, doesn't want anything to do with it, is old because he's a perpetual, has died loads and just gone, I'm just going to live on a farm. Yeah. Um, and has chosen Kalth for some reason. Cause he, cause, uh, because Kalth, because he's a retired army guy. Um, yeah. If he goes, if he went to Cal for a colony like that, they would double his. They would pay for his flight there or his trip there um, yeah. on his retirement uh, retirement thing. It was like a way of populating the way off worlds. Yeah, 
Um, and oh yes, he ends up doing that. But because suddenly there's an opportunity, because there's all these anathane blades everywhere, because the uh, word bearers quite enjoy the, them, and they're useful for their sacrifices and their rituals yeah. to kind of open up the warp, which we see in a couple of times uh, in this book. Uh, Grammaticus basically goes, "Oh, you need to do this." get this blade, get off. And he doesn't actually say get this blade. We don't know what his task is. It's only when he gets the blade, I suddenly went, oh, okay, I know what this is. Right. This is the one to kill Vulcan because that's the timeline. Ol gets out, pissed off with Grammaticus. Grammaticus is like, he meets the guys from Vulcan Lives, hilariously, that we did recently. And he's like, no, I can save him. But he's actually secretly wants to kill him. That he's using the salamanders to get off the planet so he can go and kill Vulcan. Right. And then somewhere somewhere in the line, he ends up, I think because of Ol, he changes his mind and goes, actually, we're going to revive Vulcan. Okay, so Vulcan, Vulcan was obviously on Kurz's ship. And then that ends with Vulcan using his teleport homer in his hammer. Yeah. Which gets him off ship. But does that get him above Ultramar? And yes. then he plummets yeah, to... Yeah, right. yeah, when he falls down like a meteor. Okay, and then the circle is completed. Yeah, and then he's all mental and not himself. I mean, you've been murdered like a couple of billion times. I think it'd be yeah, yeah. great, Yeah, but that's the whole circle that's going on. So again, if you know, and I think this book is written with the uh, either the understanding or the intent that you know a lot of this. Otherwise, old person's story in this in this book is pointless. It is pointless. Because he's like, oh, he's got this weird blade. Where oh, this... he's cut the sky. He's left where, through a teleport. Where does this what? book... Uh... They're not in linear in terms of timeline. No, 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 Vulcan. no, no, no. But like, where does it fall in terms of this happens and then Vulcan Lives happens and then... Uh, yeah, Vulcan Lives is later. So is uh, Unremembered Empire. Okay, so so that makes... So this is effectively the first in that story arc. And then when when is Grammaticus told to kill Vulcan? Um, well, you learn about that in Vulcan Lives. Oh, right, so, okay. So, so you don't like... know any of that, yeah. Okay, so really, then, if you relate. read this, if you if you read this in well, not even release order, this is story of events, right? Well, it's not in linear, no, because Vulcan lives happens before this. So Vulcan lives happens before this, but then so Grammaticus is on the planet in Vulcan lives to get off yeah. with the special spear. So uh, how can he already get the special no, no, spear? No, this must happen first. Maybe because this I'm, happens first because he then goes and gets he then gets the blade to be able to kill Vulcan. He's on this. He he then has a second thought and I actually I don't want to kill Vulcan anymore. Um, but I've already given the blade to the Cabal or whoever is going to kill Vulcan. He then goes to the planet in Vulcan lives, gets the the spear, and then journeys from Vulcan lives planet to Unremembered Empire, which has to happen Unremembered. after this because Unremembered Empire is when they go back and start consolidating. Yeah, yeah it's much later than this. Yeah. Um, yeah, something like that. <laughs> Let's go with that. John, yeah, you'd be reading this and going, "I don't really know what's yeah, going on." This is this is the only reason I really know this is because I've only recently read *Unmemorable Empire* this year. We read *Vulcan yeah. Lives* for this as well. Like, yeah. Uh, yeah. So I guess the idea is that there's a there's a uh, what seems like an unimportant story with this weird guy that's contacted by John Grammaticus, who we have obviously seen from *Legion*, which is like one of the sixth, seventh book. So John Grammaticus is a known character to us. Old person is introduced, and he has a bit of a, why is he there? Oh, he does a weird thing at the end. And that is it. But then when you read the other books, you go, oh, that thing was important. 
which is kind of cool as a series, but as a reading experience of a single book, is frustrating. Yeah. Um, and yeah, I just was a bit like, ugh. But yeah. anyway, that's old person in a nutshell. <laughs> yeah, he wanders, he's, a, he's... he wanders about with a ragtag team of humans and eventually gets off the planet in a weird way. Yeah, that's it. Slices the yeah the sky, <laughs> um, and that's it. That's his arc in the whole thing, and it's a bit like, okay, that was uneventful, um, and you don't really understand what was the purpose of it until later on, which I guess if you're into that is really cool. As a standalone experience, wasn't very good. Yeah, so that's how it works. He get, he gets old person. Gets old person to to get the sword. He then is on the planet to 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 try and he then gets to the world bearers planet in Vulcan lives. He then gets to um uh McCrag. Yeah. Cool. There you go. Oh, yeah, all of this, that's all what I mean. Like a lot of work, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, yeah. And, and who is going to go back? This is my other question. Who who is going to go back and read this and then go? Oh, like we're doing this very specifically. But do you know what my 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 thing with this is? I want to read the entirety of the heresy, and then I'm going to find a decent reading order. What for in linear? Linear, linear nature, and then because yeah. there's there's one that I found before, which was read the first a hundred book, hundred pages of this book, and yeah. then read the from page two hundred one to two hundred three of this book, and then almost just flip between them all, so they yeah. have that linear story. It would be really cool to do that. And they'll need to own them all first. And yeah. that will look impressive itself in the man cave, having one shelf with all of them on. Just that's it. Yeah, I want it. I want one really high books. one really high shelf along one wall and just have them all up there. Yeah. yeah, I've really stalled in buying them. Like most of the new ones I've done have been audible. Yeah. I, I'm I'm No, I'm I'm I am buying them slowly. Yeah, I need to figure out which is the last one I've got. <laughs> you you also need to buy them in the legacy paperback. Or, yeah, like they don't they don't even call them that anymore. So no. They have paperback, hardback, and then they have well, it used to be called legacy paperback, but it's just a paperback in a smaller version. And trying to buy them online like that is really hard. It's not easy. Amazon normally have them. Yeah, no, it's not not it's not hard to find them. Yeah. It's just hard to understand whether it's the right size or not. Oh, I see what you mean. I see what you mean. Like now. You, you could buy a paperback and then suddenly you've got a, one of the big paperbacks, the newer versions, and it just look weird on your shelf. Yeah. I think I'm I'm halfway through Scars, which is number 28. So there's still another. Oh, loads. Oh, God. There's still another like 23 left. Yeah. We'll get there. This is all interesting. I, I, I actually really like the heresy. Like, That's great. I, I, I like that it has a, a start and now an end. Like all the Solar Wars. Yeah. <laughs> and it, it, to me, it makes sense. It's linear. In linear sense, sorry, uh, quotation marks. Uh, like the stuff, the issue that I had with 8th edition was I had no idea what books I needed to read to move the story yeah. along. Like at least this is one book, one, now two book series. Yeah. Um, but anyway, sorry, yeah. let's carry on. We've diverged quite heavily. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's all right. That's all right. Hopefully that was uh, interesting to those that are listening to us. If not, how bad? <laughs> um, so not, I don't care uh, anymore. <laughs> yeah. It's interesting getting, to me. <laughs> getting, getting back towards, well, we must be in part four by now. But um, uh, the book did well, I thought, of describing the demons as this kind of just horror warp beasts. Mm. Yeah, they weren't specific gods. 
like they weren't like, oh, this is clearly Nurgle, or this is clearly Sylvanesh. Yeah. It was just disgusting, weird, giant snake thing with tentacles. And, I, I like the and bit where, and... where they had a sniffer dog. Yeah. Uh, and they were like, oh, well, we need something for it to follow. And, he, and one trooper puts his hand up. He's like, oh, he, t- he touched me. And then the dog launches at him. And, and he suddenly realises that he's an idiot. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> eats him. And then, and then uh, they have the track. They have the scent. And the dog goes after chasing them. I thought that was really good. Yeah, that was, that was cool to see. Yeah, they did a really good job. Just that horror feel of them, like you felt unsettled. And the Ultramarines were unsettled by them. Um, some more than others. But it was just like, a, like yeah, it did really well introducing them as a staple to the universe because we haven't really seen much of them no you know, first no. heritage like anytime we've dealt with word bearers we've seen something demonic uh, and obviously you get um the the stuff in the original trilogy in the cave with loken um but other, other than that there's not that much demon activity and this is kind of setting the actually there's going to be more of this yeah um but yeah, the end of this stage of the book, kind of, you know, we're getting towards the kind of crescendo of violence and craziness. Um, it really takes a double peel of kind of like, hey, let's make this larger scale. And and um, we get the first real show of force by the Ultramarines. So Ventanus and Celaton and the guys gathered together are holding out at this kind of palace. It wasn't that important. It was just a palatial home. Um, but it had an old Vox network that wasn't taken down by the scrap code and a data machine that was kind of, I guess, scanning CCTV cameras or something. Um, it no was, one really they never knows. really explained how it was producing data. It just was sending data. Um, they're holding out there. They're looking like, this is it. We're going down. And like a tank regiment of Ultramarines turn up with sh- uh, Shadow Swords as well and Imperial Army. And yeah, there was a real sense of kind of, Here's the show of force. We are now gathering. We are now getting organized and going to gain a foothold to fight back against the word bearers. Um, it ends with a word bearer being captured from that uh, kind of relief force, a guy called Seer. Um, and he's kind of a prisoner with the Ultramarines and he's kind of trying to goad them into killing him. Um, and one of them, I think he was called Solace, um, basically cuts him from kind of gut to chin and he turns into samus and samus is here um yep. and that's how this part ends samus is here yeah yeah the whole uh, I am samus the will eat your bones samus is the darkness samus is this it's very good yeah which is straight out of the original trilogy again i think there was some kind of great effort towards them highlighting the original trilogies where the heresy started because for the Ultramarines, this is the start of the heresy. Yeah. So including Samus, I thought was quite a good tool to tie those two kind of eras together. Here's the start of the heresy, and Samus is mentioned in the cave. It's the Samus is the bio, you know, is the is gonna gnaw on your bones. Samus death, you are doomed. And we hear it again here with the Ultramarines. Um, but here we get a full summoning of Samus. So we, we go into part five and the book goes, hey, let's take some crazy pills. Because um, it, it escalates insanely here, I think. So it's, it's been ramping up. We've had warp beasts and we've got uh, more gathering of loyalist forces and you know almost warfare in more traditional forms happening. Um, and the Ultramarines are being successful in certain areas. But here we go mad. We've got Samus who's here as this giant bull 
crazy looking Forge World model um, ripping apart the palace. Um, you've got Theo on the outside of the battle barge trying to uh, kill the word bearers that are cutting the hull apart. And Gunnerman comes back into the game. He's been, you know, for all this time, he was sucked out into space uh, earlier on in the book. And lots of, you know, is he dead? Is he gone? And all of a sudden, here he is, helmetless in the void, punching spa uh, Space Marine heads off with his fists. Like, just, let's go crazy. And then Corfairon, who's been blowing up ships, has got bored of this, and now goes on to his primary mission of murdering the sun with the Defending Network. It's just absolutely crazy. This book went in, like, a few chapters, just went from... Fairly normal standard book with, with the uh, loyalists getting beaten down and then starting to form a, 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 a force back to them to, let's blow up the sun. Yeah. You know, let's have fighting on the outside of the ship and um, Gulliman's going to not obviously not have a helmet and he's just going to punch some space marine heads the, off. The, the way that they deal with blood um, and fighting on, on, on the ship was very, very well thought out. Very yeah, good. yeah, yeah. Uh, very good. Yeah, and I liked how people were getting shot off the side and they weren't necessarily dead, but they were just going to spin off into space. Yeah. thought that was cool. The like, Mag Boots. You're done. Was it Mag Boots give up or the Mag Boots disconnected or something? Yeah, I can't remember. There was a few moments of stuff like that. It was cool. Um, and then we get kind of, in some way, for me, it reminded me of Return of the Jedi and I've kind of stuck that in. Um, we get this plan from Ventanus where one force needs to get to a bunker on the planet to destroy the scrap code and take over the defense network. And the other is a teleporting um, space battle between ships and obviously teleporting um, forces uh, with the aim of destroying a space base, which is basically Return of the Jedi. <laughs> um, it's not a Death Star, but it just was like these two forces working for the same goal. One has to succeed so the other one can succeed. Yeah. Um, uh, I love the fact that by part five, Thiel, our censured space marine, has gone from being censured to basically the Primarch's right hand man, just due to his badassness. You know, the Warp Beast attack, and he holds his resolve, and he gathers the troops, and he starts kill squads and defending the battle barge, and he really holds everything together up in the orbit before Gulliman returns. And, uh, you know, and, and because of that, they go, red helmets are no longer about censure. They're now about sergeants. That was interesting. Yeah. Um, it, was, it was cool. But cool. Yeah, I like it. It was cool. that It kind of, it kind of continues on, but in mm. a different way. And I like the reasoning as well. Gunnerman being like, we haven't got reliable Vox. I need to see where the sergeants are. Paint them all red helmets because it will stand out. Yeah. Yeah. Like, he could have chosen any other colour, I guess, but they have red for the censure, and he wants Thiel to be recognised as one of the leading men. So we'll just copy him. Yeah, rather than paint his helmet blue, let's paint yeah. everyone else red. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. The final part of this book is that standard, as Sam kind of alluded to, you know, it's all rubbish, there's no hope for the good guys, in brackets, good guys. Um, it's very, but then, very subjective. Yeah. But then help come uh, help comes in the final kind of moments where they kind of win, but not really. Yeah, so we get this kind of uh, on the uh, space platform station, whatever it is, um, Gulliman kind of breaks in with his 46 men because they teleport over 
the four of them die pretty horrifically. Um, and uh, yeah, they go into battle with Corfairon and his forces, and then all of a sudden, Gulliman is on his knees, almost like he's been force lightninged by Corfairon, um, and he is sliced with an anathane blade, but not enough? Question mark. Why? Why in every book they go for Gulliman's throat? Yeah, I know. Every that's time they that. go and kill him, they go for his throat. I get maybe he's in armor, maybe that's it. Just, just. I don't get it, yeah. like because that's how we spoiler. That's how he dies. Is, is uh, yeah, I did. It's a bit he weird. He doesn't die, so. Sorry, that's how he is severely injured before he's put into status and then somehow resurrected by Belisarius Core in Eighth yes. Edition. But he can no longer ever take his armor off because it's special. But anyway, why do um, they always go yeah. for his throat? I mean, maybe it's because that's his, that's the weak spot. Like if he got shot in the face, he would recover. Yeah, but his throat. So. Like, well, is I not... mean, but Corfairon even says like he's thinking it out, and he's got. I've got two options. I can kill the great Gulliman. You know, reboot Gulliman can die at my hand, and have him as a trophy, basically. Um, or I can try and turn him like we turned Horace. Kill him. Why would you ever yeah. try and? Well, and and that's the arrogance I think uh, that that he gets punished for because Gulliman. He's sliced with an anathine blade, which is the same weapon that turns Horus. Yeah. But yet we get no lead onto that. So clearly the slice isn't deep enough. Whereas Hor- uh, uh, Horus was stabbed. So it went deeper in. Like, very messy, and I don't think it was handled very well. Like, why have an anathane blade in particular rather than like a power sword? Unless you're going to do something with that. Uh, an anathane was a sword impregnated with the power of a chaos god, Nurgle, created by mysterious Kinbrach. They're all the ones that, um, like what are, maybe, maybe maybe you do it and it needs more to to, to do. Yeah, it. well, I mean, I suppose he gets stabbed and he's injured, and it has a, a you know a, a bad effect, and then um, they use the Davenite priest, don't they, to create the dream for Horus, and that's what kind of makes him fall. Yeah, maybe it's more than just being. Maybe it's the only weapon yeah. that can lay the lay a Primarch low. Yeah, for long enough for you to maybe corrupt yeah. them or kill them. Yeah, maybe that's what it was. But it just was like, I don't know, it didn't feel particularly handled very well. Um, but Corfairon is kind of lording it over Gulliman and saying, like, I'm going to turn you, blah, blah, blah. And Gulliman's like, you had two choices, kill me or wound me. You wounded me, unlucky, and rips out his heart. <laughs> yeah. Just Gulliman just lifts up his gauntlet. But again, he didn't, he didn't do it well enough. Like, he didn't kill him. No, well, he should be dead. Ripped out his primary heart, but because he's obviously blessed by chaos now, yeah. it's not a thing. It, that's the point. Um, that's the point where Gulliman didn't finish the job properly and should have just picked him up and ripped him in half. Yeah, well, he was injured though, right? Um, yeah. And this is the, another criticism of the book, um, but I'll bring it up here: is that like Gulliman enters the room with his guys into the main room where Corfairon is. It cuts away, and the next bit is Gulliman on his knees, like injured, and fear when the other space marines can't get to him while Corfairon's coming at him with a blade. And we're like, well, how did Corfairon down a Primarch? Like, why why do we not witness any of that battle? Was there a battle? Like, it, it, it kind of jumped between, there was a middle bit missed. However quick it was, it was missed. And that was really frustrating to me. Oh, I figured it out. So, the original blade, the Anthem, okay. is, the, is the sword that caused it. Uh, yeah. The, the, the dagger that he has is a shard of the aim theme 
So Erebus would strike eight shards from the blade of the Anthem just before the Battle of Kalf to create the Chaos Daggers known as Anthemes. Anathame. Oh, Anathame is the sword. The daggers are is an is athame. Okay. So there's no N in there, it's A-T-H-A-M-E. Um, and they were used by the word bearers, hosts of Chaos Space Marines that assaulted that world during the Horus Heresy. So they are they're not the whole sword, it's just a dagger fragment. of fragment of. Yeah. Which is probably why it didn't kill him. Yeah, or well didn't have as much of an effect. Yeah, yeah. But I mean, we've had to just look that all up. <laughs> like that must be somewhere. Like is that not is that not in that book? Oh, I'm somewhere? sure it is somewhere, otherwise it wouldn't be online. But, yeah. But not enough of a not enough of a a, a, a stark information that you would with yeah. hold in your head. So yeah, yeah I, for me that bit kind of was like what? I, I didn't get that. Yeah. Um basically the book ends with, you know, those on the surface have to be left because the sun's doing crazy stuff and the fleet need to get out of there. They can't withcrawl most of their men. Ventanus has ended up being left there. Um to fight on until the Legion can return someday, having no idea whether they can ever again, depending on what the sun does, because it's just been absolutely abused by Corfaeron. Um And we finish, the last little bit actually isn't with the Ultrarines, but with is with Ol's little crew again, um, where he has the blade, and he, he basically does what Erebus does, and just goes, oh, I'm just going to cut me a portal, and slices the air and leaves. And I'm guessing the guys that he was with leave with him? Yeah. It yeah. doesn't actually say they do, but I'm guessing they do. Um, didn't, he, he cut the portal. didn't he get them to come close to him? He cut the portal, I guess, for Yeah, them. yeah. Well, he said, come close to me. Like, this area is a thin... Like, they go to that exact beach or wherever they are because the, the warp is and reality are quite thin there. Yeah. So he can slice and get out, which is what Erebus does. Erebus is on the planet and the word bearers are leaving. And he's just like, oh, cool, I'll just open a portal. See you later. <laughs> It was just a bit like, it, oh, okay. It, it, I don't know, it was funny to me in some ways. It's very uh, Rick and Morty. I don't know if you've seen any Rick and Morty. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's very yeah, Rick and Morty where he just sort of like creates the portal and then disappears. Yeah, and just jump through it. Like, Bye, guys. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, and then we get the epilogue, which is the final bit of the book, really, um, which is, you know, Captain Remus Ventanus a re- reflecting on the years of the underworld war on Kalf. So the, the period in which after he's left to survive, he say, says to everyone, we need to go underground. The radiation from the sun will kill us. And um, I think Tarren, Tar uh, the Magos, is saying, like, hey, the word bearers will head there too, the ones that were left on the planet. And he's like, yep, we're going to have to fight them. And he's reflecting on that as he stands on Colchis during the Great Scouring which I looked up and Colchis was basically the homeworld of the word bearers. Okay. Um, right, right, right. So right, this, right. Is, this is after the heresy, the great scouring happens, the ultramarines end up going back to um, the word bearers home world, not back to, sorry, go to the world, word bearers home world to drive them off and ev- eventually ex- uh, uh, exterminatus the world. Right. So it's kind of like, last, last on you, buddy. <laughs> you tried to destroy our world, one of our worlds. We've just exterminated your planet. Yeah, this is the uh, <laughs> the epilogue, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's how Ventanus is basically just confirmed as surviving those under underworld wars. On yeah, Kath, this, this, all those years. I remember the first time I read this book, and that always it always baffled me when when Gulliman was like, 
I'm leaving. Guys, go underground. It will be fine. And I'll come back? Yeah, maybe. Like, it, it was no, a they, bit... they had to get out of there because they thought the sun was going to explode. Yes, I mean it's it's so very it's very ultramarine, right? It's very ultramarine of the, um, it's very ultramarine in, in the respect of going well. Needs of the many outweigh the needs of the few. So yeah, but also like you know you've you've lost a ton of your legion. What you've got left in space is vital to whatever resistance you can hold against this new heresy. Um, and actually staying there for the few as you call them um isn't isn't worth losing all of that so they have it's sort of like their hands are tied they need to go yeah 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 very true i guess yeah um and that, that and that's that like, it's just one of those hard decisions of war i guess um yeah and and bentanus leads them and clearly survives and then has a bigger role to play later on in the in the scouring so good on him good it was for cool him. to get that confirmation Good for um, him. So, do you want to? Um, firstly, actually, just a kind of a talk to the listeners, if you're still with us. <laughs> um, I tried to review this without ruining loads of stuff. Not necessarily in spoilers; you're always going to spoil the book. But in terms of, you know, we didn't talk about specific battles. Didn't speak about how Samus is dealt with. We didn't talk much about Tarren and why she is really important. Um, even though she's not given that much time to be a full-fledged character, um, if you know what I mean. Um, so there's lots in this book that you could go and read even now after listening to this and discover. So um, hopefully that was good. Maybe you didn't like that and you wanted more detail. I don't know. Let us know if you had an opinion either way. Um, but yeah, that was, that was my goal, to kind of reveal the story without revealing a lot of the individual happenings. Yeah. Um, so yeah, well, I, I don't know. Hopefully it did an all right job. Um, yeah, do you want to do cool moments and then go into the kind of general review? Sure. So my cool moments was uh, they actually really like the idea. Uh, I, I, I really like the idea that it was very early set on about this chronometer counting down to the event where Gilliman, Gilliman started the uh, the engagement and then passed that engagement chronometer counting up so you could see like yeah. how close the event i really like that and i know early on we talked about how y- you felt that it was <coughs> you felt that it started that at the beginning and then sort of didn't really go anywhere with it because it was that report but actually yeah. uh, listening to it again yesterday and today it actually continued carrying that on throughout the entire entirety of the book yeah um, and uh, i thought that I was think- a it was a really cool way of doing it almost like a because uh, there was a bit at the beginning where it talks about chronometers and counting down engagements and counting engagements from the point of of the first boot on the ground or the first shot fired and you always have that point that marks the 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 mission and actually having that in this was actually i i really liked it and i thought it was really cool slight slightly weird that it slows uh it's slightly weird that it flows from pre to the event and then the end um, but I guess it kind of gave all the detail that led up to the start of that engagement. So it makes sense, but it was a bit, a bit strangey. Mm. Yeah. It's just the way they maybe mark things, right? Yeah. As well. Like it just shows that. Yeah. Like I think for me, I didn't get the importance of it. I didn't pay enough attention to be like, Oh, okay. Well, I didn't deem it important. I knew it was doing it, but I was just like, yeah, whatever. Just get me into the action. 
Well, maybe the, it was just attention span. The bit that that really that I thought was really effective is because when it was jumping around timelines, yeah, it would you could tell what was happening at once. Yeah. So if you pay attention to numbers, it would be like actually. Gulliman's doing this at the same time that Orl's doing this and at the same time yeah. this person's doing this and it almost kind of it, it, it gave a really good grounding to to uh, actually seeing that all these events are taking place at the exact same time and it's not linear it's actually all of these yeah. have impact on each other and the fact that Gulliman's over here doing this then impacts the ground engagement over here and and I, I, I felt it was really good um, I thought it was really yeah, good I, to have that I'm glad because I thought it was needless <laughs> Like, I got that feeling, yeah, especially because the plan was like, look, you need to go and do destroy this thing so that we can get rid of the scrap code and take over the gun, the guns. Yeah. Like, so I knew that it was happening at the same time. Yeah. I didn't need... Yeah, but it numbers. wasn't It wasn't just those two, though. It was also no, the fact no, that no, was running around. And, yeah, yeah. I, I thought it was really effective. And, yeah. and it did uh, take some, it did, it did take some, it did take some pain and attention to, to kind of join the dots together with it, though. It wasn't just a overtly, oh, this is at the same time. It was because mm. I was laying on the hammock listening to it being read to me. And and may, again, maybe it would have made more impact or more sense if I was reading it again in a physical book. Because I think yeah, in the think book actually, it has I it in bold. More, uh, more impact if it was a physical book. I was yeah. listening to it on Audible. And actually I would have noticed, I would have seen the pattern rather mm. than listened. Like listening, you can tune in and out, I find very easily. And especially the dates. If I'm in, reading it. Especially the dates in 40K are all kind of bleh, anyway. Yeah, yeah, lots of like dots. Like m.21.369. Yeah. We covered it once, didn't we? But yeah. Okay. Um, your first one? Uh, so mine was uh, that land speeder thing that you talked about. So Celaton and Ventaranus um, take out members of the Brotherhood, the kind of cultists, um, and the way they work together to take out the speeder and how easy they just murdered these human beings, which just reminded you space marines are gnarly. Um, and then uh, blowing apart the word bearer Terminator with the gun on the speeder was just, just really cool. And it was the first real bit of um, uh, attacking that the Ultramarines did uh, in the book. So they're just kind of getting blown up and murdered and trying to respond, but not much going on. Yeah. And here they are taking advantage of a situation to help them and that was kind of like uh the first not necessarily turning the tide because i don't think it's a book about an ultramarine victory at all um it's a it's a record of what happened yeah but, um yeah this was the first thing where it was like oh the circus you know the ultramarines are gonna fight back and it was mm. a cool example of that happening and then it leads to the idiot soldier getting eaten by the demon dog yeah do you want to do your second one? Then I'll do my second one. Yeah, sure. So my my other one was again. I you seem to have gone more kind of concept with your cool moments, and I've gone for moments. Yeah. So just Gulliman turning up, you know, pulling feel to the ship, and then punching and kicking uh, word bearers just off the ship. When the, the one bit that really just I thought was hilarious was um, when he he just punched the helmet and head off of a word bearer. It's just like, I'm just going to punch him in the face. And it wasn't the helmet cracked and fell away and his face was caved in. Yeah. It was just he punched a head straight off of a dude. Yeah. And it was like, whoa. <laughs> I just found that kind of stuff really comical. Like, I don't know. I get it. He's a Primarch. He's extremely strong. He could do it. But it was a bit yeah. like almost a, 
like oh, ha ha punch no head i don't know yeah yeah yeah. like it was definitely a silly moment yeah. um, but i think that's why it stood out for me i think also we engaged with this book in a different kind of way mm-hmm. so i went in a bit kind of bolter porny like yeah i'm gonna watch a battle cool and and i love those bits and then like with the dating and the record keeping and the the dialogue stuff i was like oh flipping that can you get to the next thing yeah um and so i didn't bother really engaging with that whole chrono chronometer thing yeah i was just like yeah whatever i don't need that do you know what the best um, part is if you look at all oh, the good bad and the ugly yeah yeah, yeah. um and, <laughs> well, and yeah and you've gone more conceptual with the book mm. um but yeah and I, I think though like my good bad and the ugly i will share what i've kind of written down mm-hmm. and i may retract some of it because i did really enjoy the book yeah yeah um, and my notes, if you just read my notes, you'd be like, he really didn't like this book. But I did enjoy the book as a whole. Yeah. There's parts that I was like, I think I took the kind of, we've almost switched, I think, a little bit in how we tend to approach a different book. Do you think it's because, do you think it's because you are, when you listen to this book, you listen to the book while taking notes and... I listened to the book as a story because I, because I wasn't taking notes. I only had to do these end right. bits, which is a, which is a, I did these at the end, not halfway through. Yes. Yeah, so yeah. I, I got to enjoy the book as actually just a story. Whereas you had mm. to do it as a, I need to review this or talk about this in a few days time. Yeah, I think so. I think also I shot myself in the foot because I did my normal thing of, I need to do this in a week's time and I haven't started the book. So yeah. I was like, okay. And then the part one was slow. And I was like, oh, I've got nine more hours to go. Come on, shut up. And and, and I think that kind of stuck. Yeah. And it wasn't until later in the book that I, I started kind of just enjoying it as a story and as yeah. a happening. But by then it was kind of bolter porning and loads of action, right? Yeah. yeah so yeah. the beginning so, setup parts kind of might. So my, my second core highlight is the slow decay of the ultramarines um, from, mm-hmm. from their logical data driven um, force to uh, being calculated to the, to to migrating to the with the the pissed off marines, which they deserve to be, because obviously they're being assaulted like that and and murdered needlessly, um, and also the part of a ship hitting the the planet, which and the aftermath of how they covered like the water over the the slick streets and all the mud and stuff in the streets, because obviously a giant ship just hit the ground. Um, but I, I think I feel like that was a bit under established. It's like. They talked about the sentence literally said this is an extinction type event. But and no one was like, extincted. Extincted? Yeah. Extinguished? Extinguished? No one no was one killed. Was, well, they, they didn't obviously like billions of people were probably killed, but they did just glossed over it. Yeah, yeah. And yeah. then it was just battling as normal. All of the normal characters were absolutely fine. Yeah, and also it didn't affect them. Yeah. Like, I, I don't know. The only person the only time it affected people was when old person was on his farm. Yeah. Like he woke up and he was like, oh, I'm in mud. What the hell? And oh, it's been a bit crazy. So he was asleep the entire time. Didn't notice a ship hit the floor. Well, I think what happened is the ship hit the floor, knocked him out as it blew him out of his house. Yeah. And then that's when John Grammaticus talked to him in the dream. Oh, I see. And then he he comes to in the field like, what? I'm like miles from where I thought I was. Yeah, so I, I don't know. Maybe it's the way in which we engaged with the book and why and how we engaged mm. with the book. So I'm, I'm definitely thinking about if I can try and be more on top of these and, and listen to them once just reading it, do yeah. my good, the bad and the ugly and, and the, the highlights, the cool highlights, and then go back and listen to it again, maybe on a faster speed to be able to do like all the notes. 
I don't know. Because mm. I think it, it has an impact. Some of the notes, when I've done them before, my feelings are at the time of writing them and not after ingesting the entirety of the book. Yes, no, I would agree as well. It's, it's hard because you're trying to do a review that doesn't go, then this happened, then this happened, yeah. then this happened. But when you're writing notes as you're doing it, yeah, you are writing that and then you have to translate that out of that format. But if you read the whole book and then do the notes at the end, the you, stuff that you've hold on to and remembered, you're going to miss massive swathes. Yeah, and find, like yeah, it's, it's a it's there's definitely an art to reviewing books. Yeah, maybe I think we're we're still working it out. Maybe maybe it'd be good to do listen to all of it once through, no pressure on mm. on it, which I know is a lot of time. But actually, I think we we have the time. But sometimes we make the excuse of deferring it to the last week like before oh yeah um which means it's always it, it kind of feels a bit a little bit rushed with that so i think what i might try and do is i've downloaded it on my phone the next one is uh we'll talk about the book next but it's only 10 it's only 10 hours and we have that time to to listen to it we just choose not to anyway yeah. let's let's get on with the good the bad and the ugly matt you can go first as you make some assumptions of my my feelings i well i do I, but i also recognize that i i think i i fell into that so uh yeah the actually of the detail I didn't find a gripping read. I didn't feel it very characterful. Um, I felt the book started quite dry and slow. Um, uh, yeah, it's a bit of a trope on the podcast for Sam to dislike a ton of detail in books. But I found this, as, uh, especially the early stages of the book, quite painful in terms of the detail and and not necessarily detail, but just it felt like nothing was happening. Like, And it was all build and it was all introduction. And it was all assuming that everything was okay. And it, it was you know, needed. I'm not going to sit here and go, it was a bad book done badly. It just didn't connect with me. It was just like, oh, all right, I've got to get through this, I suppose, because we're talking about it. But I would have probably put this book down and not finished it if I wasn't recording the podcast. Really? Yeah. Like the first part, I was like, I'm not enjoying this at all. I don't think it was that bad. Like I, yeah, I get I, what you're saying. That, like I get what you're saying. It, it was the first bit was very much like, oh, we're the ultramarines. This is all about process and yeah. things. And but but I, but I I don't know. I think for me, I need to gra- I, I gravitate towards characters. And I, in part one, it was just here's this person, here's this person, here's this person. Yeah. And and it wasn't like here's this guy, he's cool, you know. Like it, it, there was no real kind of gravitational pull towards anything. It was just I'm reading a, I'm reading a textbook. Yeah. Okay. That's what that's what I felt, and I don't really want to do that for fun. Like, um, so yeah, like the more Primark centered stuff, I really enjoyed. Gulliman was an interesting character, and discovering more of his mannerisms, morals, the way he works, the way he leads his legion, um, and when he gets angry and how that adapts how he thinks was really interesting. I love that stuff. Um, and like Ventanus, I thought was a really great character, and and the and mainly because the characters around him bounced off him, but he just felt very cool. Um, I thought Phil was going to be one of my favourites, but then actually he was just good with a sword. Yeah, like there wasn't much to his character. Whereas Ventanus, I felt like he had the weight of leadership. He was trying to hold these people together. He was trying to salvage some kind of victory or at least vengeance while carrying on in the way the ultramarines are taught to fight and i loved that wrestling that he had with that and how he did successfully lead those people um he was a cool hero of the story to me um 
I struggle with the voices going on Audible. Talking about Audible for a second. Oh, uh, oh it was so weird. Strange. Like he had like one one character was from the West Country. The other one was like a weird American English accent. Like the 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 voice the the reader whoever it was like he has done some really good I mean, books looking probably, at his catalog. Yeah. But this was weird. Yeah, but I mean that's probably the brief he got right. Like old person was very West Country, but because he was, he was a farmer. Because all West Country people are farmers. Yeah. yeah, 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 definitely. This that's that's well, why. Well, Mike, Mike, Mike is not no longer allowed to wash cars. He's got to go to his fields. Yeah, <laughs> but um, uh, what else was there? Um, yeah, just all the ultramarines. They they felt very kind of similar. It wasn't like it was weird in terms of one sounds like. It's from France, and the other one. No, like they all sounded, um, but that's because they all have the the language in common, isn't it? They all yes, yeah, yeah. yeah. Get trapped that way. I don't know. Uh, it was a bit jarring, and I didn't enjoy that as part of the experience. It was a little much. Yeah, I, I think the the problem I'm having maybe doing things is that I I instantly go to Audible because it's quicker and easier. Yeah, but actually. I probably engage with a book deeper when it's a real book in front of me. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, I get that. Um, and yeah, and some of this maybe, you know, like the voices wouldn't have been a thing, you know. Um, and the detail, I might have skim read quicker actually in a book rather than having to listen to it. Yeah. And, and, and again, I'm paying more attention because I'm making notes rather than just I'm listening to it, um, which we've already talked about. Uh, it has that whole jumping Black Library thing that we're kind of used to. Uh, at the beginning, I was like, oh, great. Towards the end, I thought it was really great, and it left suspense and cliffhanger, and I really enjoyed that part. Um, I think the book, you know, really does well looking at the kind of uh, devastation going on and the chaos and how the Ultramarines are trying to hold it together in amongst all that chaos. Yeah, um, I think it does really well in in almost delivering you a new experience in the Heresy. Yeah, uh, you know, because you're looking from the Ultramarine point of view, it might as well be a callback to, and it was, I believe, a callback to the original trilogy, as it is at the beginning of the Heresy books, where you experience that for the first time, and you're now getting to experience it again in a different situation with different characters. And I really enjoyed that aspect of the book. And like I say, I did actually quite enjoy the book, uh, especially towards the end, even though it went a bit, too crazy for me with like mm. Samus and blow up the sun and yeah um I still really enjoyed it um I don't know if it's a go back and read again for me this is the second time I read it this is the second time I read it but the first time I read it was way ages long ago, ago. So it might ago. as well have been the first time I read it I don't think I'll read it again it wasn't like a, oh like I could read Alpha Legion like Legion again um uh, Battle yeah, for the Abyss um, all over that again. No, get rid of that book. I can read the original trilogy again and again and again. Mm. This book's a bit of a, cool, I've read that. Don't need to touch that again. Yeah. Um, but yeah. So I, my good, the bad and the ugly. So so by now, I think you'll know that I hate uh, a wordy book, but actually I thought this was really good. I really enjoyed it. Uh, I like that there was action most of the way through in the beginning part, kind of like the the muster. Uh, was the mark the muster on calf was pretty good and 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 the idea of that why they're all coming here it's all about fighting fighting greenskins or whatever it was 
Um, I didn't like that there was like a billion characters. I don't really feel like they all added stuff to the story. Like knowing the name of some of the Skatari soldiers didn't really need that, in my opinion. Um, I understand they obviously all had impact on the story and and maybe this is an issue with um an issue with audible over books is because you don't you can't read you're not reading those names over and over again you're not reading them over again it's not reaffirming who they are it's just someone saying yeah. and then john said this like it, unless you know who they are already like so I, i'm i'm the worst with names anyway so it kind of hurt my head when there were so many um although to be fair i thought it was really awesome to see the word bearers start to fall is probably the right maybe the right story but but as in the, the word bearers start turning on their own legions and uh, sorry on on their brothers and and exact that kind of revenge for what they were doing before and and to start using the warp and the entities there and 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 uh, I thought it was a really good way of doing of of bringing the word bearers in and showing their their fall to to chaos and and their their use with chaos. Um, I think this would be a really good book for a campaign. Well, like, there is obviously a campaign based on it in the four draw books or the black books. Oh, so the, well, there we go um, then. The one that, where they did Ultramarines. Oh. Can't remember, what is it, book four? After Massacre, I think it was. Oh, well then, uh, as I've already said, this would be a really <laughs> good book for a campaign. I'm going to see yeah. if I can get a copy of it because it would be interesting uh, Chris, to see how they do Wilmore. it. Chris uh, W has it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I, I will uh, have a look because I, I thought that would, it would be really good to do and, and um, it would be a really good one to trying to find it extermination malevolence betrayer which it's got to be betrayer wasn't it yeah probably sons of horus and empress children no world eaters and death gun no it's not that anyway whatever i'll find it um i think i thought it'd be really good to do is almost having those crash ships and 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 having the um the fighting in space and 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 doing all those kind of rules i'd love to write a, a couple of rules around those or campaigns around those but yeah, so I thought it was very good. I, I actually thoroughly enjoyed the book. Um, the next book, Matt, lead us on. Which What are we doing next? Mm. So this is after many good things that I've heard. It's a newer book, uh, 40K. Obviously, it'll be a 40K book club in two months' time. And we are going to be reading Double Eagle. Um, so this is our dogfighting book, uh, again, written by Dan, Dan Abner. So it's uh, um, two in a row for him. Um, and yeah, looking forward to it. We both got it on Audible, um, so we'll be doing the Audible experience again. You say new? Um, it's from two thousand and four. It is. Oh, is it? I yeah. thought it was a newer one out. I thought it came out for. I'm guessing um, they probably re Aeronautica. I'm guessing they reskinned it for ah, Aeronautica, cool. but um, no, it's from two thousand and four. Oh, cool. Okay, fair enough. Ignore that. I've heard very good things. I've never read it. I have no idea who's in it. What's it about? Other than it's got planes on the front. <laughs> That's it. So, you know, after everyone kind of banging on about it in uh, Hobby Hangouts um, fairly recently um, and, uh, yeah, just various things online, I thought, well, why not? Let's, let's, let's see if we like it as much. So, in the blood-soaked Sabbath world crusade, Warmaster McCrath Imperial Crusade Force is attempting to halt a massive counterattack led by the Chaos Legions of the Dread Lord Anquana Sek. That's literally all that they've given it. Okay. Um, but yeah, yeah, I'm looking forward to it. So double Eagle, if you want to listen along or read along, if you have the physical book, then please do. Um, if you've already read it, um, feel free to read it again or just wait, uh, with anticipation for our kind of rambling review. 
um, yeah, I think it's going to be a good one from what I hear. I'm quite looking forward to it. Cool. Well, we're going to take a quick break, come back with our closing thoughts and uh, end the show there. The tendrils of the warp are far-reaching and communicating using the great social media anonymicon. Do I? What's that? Do I have to say that? Yeah, it's a keeper anonymicon. Anonymicon. Anyway, it's apparently never been easier. Reach out and connect. Find them on the Adeptus Terror podcast page on Facebook www.facebook.com forward slash the Adeptus Terror podcast and the Adeptus Terror Podcast Community Safe Room Facebook group, www.facebook.com forward slash TATP Safe Room. You can also connect to them on Instagram to see some of what they get up to in between episodes at the Adeptus Terror Podcast. Give these losers a break and please give them a like and a follow. Thanks, guys. And welcome back. Uh, this is the outro part, which is very upsetting because it means this episode is over. Um, I know. But as ever, Ooh. what can you expect from us hobby-wise? Neil, I know that you are so enthralled in painting at the moment that you're going to produce lots. So if you want to lead, take us away with uh, what you're going to do hobby-wise for us. I'm going to get a paint bomb, throw it into my man cave and see the end results. <laughs> Hey, it's progress. I might have to cover up the computer first. Do you remember the YouTube video where they they uh, they experimented? At, could you paint? Uh, could you paint the wall of a house with explosives? Uh, I think it, it was MythBusters, and it was it was like they built a cone. They put like a a paint yeah. thing in it, and then put an explosive behind it, and just explode out. I think it, I think it had successful results. Like I think it wasn't it wasn't it, the worst. It did paint sections, but it wasn't painted painted <laughs> yeah. enough. Well, that's it an art installation, a- though, isn't it? An area of paint on the wall yeah. splattered. I'll see if I can find it. I'll share it. Um, um, but Neil, what are you going to do? I, something. I really don't know, to be honest with you. Again, I'm, I'm at the stage where I need to have another tidy up of the desk because it's it's got out of control again and then sort of sit down and be, right, okay, I need to do this. This needs to be finished. Sorry, Attempt to quick, finish quick something. Question, quick question. Why do you have a salad bar sign behind you? Oh, that! <laughs> right, I, I was. Okay. I, I. It's just. I, was... I noticed it earlier, and it. It's confused me, and I'm trying this, to work it was, out. This. This was an acquisition from uh, my old job, and it was basically the material that they made the salad bar sign out of. They right. were getting rid of. Right. And it's made of um, EPX foam. EP. It's, it's expanded polystyrene, so it's that tough foam board stuff. Yeah. Yeah, base things on, and I've based a couple of hills on it already. Is this and like just, is this like us keeping the keeping the the, the little gates from Forge World stuff that you're gonna, never going to do and just keep quite possibly? It. <laughs> but I mean, it's 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 like um it's it's that's board stuff for signs. Mm. So you know, it's quite rigid. It's got a little bit of flex to it. Yeah, but um yeah, it's 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 more dense than cardboard and doesn't flake like mdf does okay i um i've got a uh probably a question for maybe after this but what i'm looking at doing is building some um rocky outcrop tower things mm-hmm. for my 
Ze- uh, my realm of battle board um just as a alternative um planet like an alien right. planet so I, i've looked at the when they basically cut out sections of like circles of cardboard and stick them together and and then they create that kind of towery thing um oh yeah that's what i've been looking at the moment but i i, I might get your idea on those because I, I don't want it as I, I don't want it like humanistic i want it to look quite alien right okay but yeah. at the same um, time out there in the hallway, there's a bag of polystyrene, lots and lots of polystyrene out there, which we might be able to do something with. Is polystyrene the best to do it with? Is, is, like, I, I always thought the cardboard one would be a bit more user-friendly. Um, well, less mess, I suppose. Potentially less mess, but... What are you going to do after that, though? Yeah, it's, it's never going to look hill-like. Gonna, no, no, I don't want it to look like a hill. I don't want it to look like a, like I know, a hill. I, I've seen exactly what you mean, and I just, yeah, I don't know about it, to be honest with you. It's it's not my cup of tea, if that makes sense. <laughs> Sorry, you're, I forget your uh, your oh. high your high standards it, it, of hobbiness. Yeah. I don't know. I just don't, yeah, I don't particularly like yeah. the cardboard hill style but it's sorry it, uh probably hang on i will it, it's more like a stack yeah. like a stack yeah, of, yeah, yeah, I, yeah, I don't know know. yeah but it's it's still it's that it's i don't know it just doesn't they're normally painted like orange <laughs> yeah. well yeah. You, you you want you want that kind of like uh almost geonosis style yeah kind of column type thing that looks like it's melted wax as opposed to a stack or Hold on. Sorry, I've I've sent a picture to everyone uh, in in our Discord chat to kind of uh, to, oh, to make it oh, open better. Discord again. Yep. So, it's, it's on your oh, phone. Still, still scrolling, still scrolling, still scrolling. <laughs> I want to see it on the computer, my friend. <laughs> that's not cardboard. No, no, but that that's what I mean. I've only ever seen it used with yeah, cardboard. Yeah, yeah, like it's that, like yeah. it's like oh, yeah. cutting out loads of circles or, or shapes of cardboard and just sticking them on top of each other to create those kind of like blocks of line of sight blocking terrain and and. Yeah. Polystyrene would be better for that just because yeah. the cardboard you'd have to fill in the edges. Mm-hmm. Whereas polystyrene you haven't got to do that. You just cut it to shape. Obviously, yeah. this is expanded polystyrene um insulation sheets, which yeah. work even better. Okay. Um uh, where are we that one? There we go. But yeah. Something like that. So, anyway. Whatever. Where, where, where were we up to in terms of Neil's hobby? Wise? Neil's going to be doing um, some painting. Something. Something. He is. Um, but Matt, what are you going to be working on? Um, so that, it's just more Night Lords, really. Um, I probably will get distracted and build that tactical squad. Um, I still need a backpack, but other than that, I've got everything I need for the 10 men. Oh, no, and a sergeant arm and pistol. But uh, yeah, yeah, just. Uh, what arm do you need? Uh, a right hand Mark III. Right, um, okay. But, uh, you know, like the straight sergeant one, so I can either have the pistol down or he's aiming it, um, rather than a Mark III bolter arm that goes across his chest. Um, yeah, I need one of those. I also need a Mark III backpack. Um, right, okay. Just because those bits, I can't remember why. Uh, oh, that was it. One of the guys came as a heavy bolter and the yep. backpack's different. So okay. I need that. Um, uh, for him and the other one is the sergeant i think he didn't come with an arm i think he had the chainsaw arm and no other arm Super so weird. i need it, it was that or it or it was there but i can't remember why I'm, I, I might i might have something uh, i've got that 
box of bits of an eye. I, I will consult the many locations which involve in there and that box down there. Which is great <laughs> for, for podcasting. Yes. Uh, yes. Basically, for, a, for, a, for an audio descriptive but, version of what we're looking at, we're looking at Neil's messy office. Um, there's some old are. CDs and VHS office, tapes. I don't have an office. It's a man um, cave. Also, uh, some some cassette Samuel. tapes because Neil is that old. And I can see, I think, is that is that a, a record? Is that a record player? Uh, I don't have a record player in here, but I do have a record. Oh, yeah, records. Is, uh, the original. Also, was Neil is challenging me. He's in, a, he's in a hoarder. He's in a hoarder. He's got boxes of cardboard just sitting there doing nothing. Uh, an old biscuit tin. Yes, I do have um, an old biscuit tin here somewhere as well. <laughs> I'd be awesome. Can you imagine me doing audio descriptive? But it's actually like, got this is awful. I'm hating every second. <laughs> Good. Matt, what are you working on? Hurry up there. Uh, so, the tactical... Say hurry up. You started listing things in Neil's room. Um, <laughs> so, yeah, the tactical squad um, needs some work and be built up. I'm sure I'll get distracted with that. I need to get on with this assault squad. I would like to say... And I guess I'm, you know, we don't make kind of commitments anymore. But I would love to finish the Night Lord Assault Squad by the time we record again, because then that'll be, um, well, that's technically the end of August. So I should have lots more than that done. But we'll see. Yes. So awesome. I have, uh, I have three things that I need to concentrate on. Well, sorry, one thing I need to concentrate on. I need to get Sangrenius painted. Um, which is slightly scary and terrifying all at once, but it's okay. We'll get there. Uh, and... buy some gold. Huh? Sorry. Buy some gold. Yes, need to buy gold because uh, he's painted gold. So I need to. I need to. I need to paint him. Really. Um, however, uh, I also really want to paint my ZM board, um, and I also really want. I also really need to go through my entire Blood Angel collection and make sure they're all uniform and tidy them up in preparation. So, in terms of importance, like order of importance, Sanguinius, Fine Tooth Comb, the Blood Angels, and then ZM. However, in my head, it's going to be ZM, Sanguinius, and then maybe Blood Angels. Uh, well, the tidy up can happen like two days before we go, right? Yeah, like, yeah, yeah. In the car, even. No, no. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, you'll be driving, so that'll be impressive. I would. Yeah, I'll try. Get everything, um, everything a go once. Yeah. Um, but yeah, no, it'd be really cool. And I mean, like if you're if you're passionate and want to get the ZM done, then do that while you've still got to wash and part assemble Sanguinius. Yeah. yeah you can do true. those at the same time. That's true. Um and then and then when Sanguinius is literally ready to go, you could pause on the ZM wherever you've got to. Yeah. I d I, I, I don't know. I bought the I got the ZM tiles and, and um didn't really do anything with them and then I went and got spray paint yesterday and then sprayed all the remaining tiles on my grass and it's just made me super like before when I was waiting for everyone to sort of come online when I woke up at six um I I was trying out the like spraying water onto the tiles um to run um to run a wash into the recesses and stuff a bit better okay um not not how it works out. I think I need a bit more of a finer spray bottle, but whatever. I'll figure it out. It's all it's all exciting. It's all just trying on this new on this on one tile, uh, and then I'll replicate it out. Please tell me you have a massive outline of a grey square on your grass. <laughs> no, God no. I, I I I love and cherish my grass. Um, I lay down yes. a tarpaulin, um, which does have loads of little square outlines on it. Um, but that's fine. The tarpaulin is sat in the box next to me actually, because I was going to respray it this morning. But I think. I'm not going to do that. I'm quite lazy. Going to so. respray the tarpaulin. Yeah, yeah. Going to spray it back. To, <laughs> spray it back to blue. Solid grey. Spray it yeah. back, back to blue. Um, but that's what I'm going to be working on. Just a poll reminder. Uh, we are asking you to um, 
on, on this month is to uh, which race would you wipe out from the law, as in squat style? So not remove completely, but uh, kill them off from some tragedy that has befallen them. Um, which would it be and why? Um, we're not going to put a poll up. We're just going to let you put your answers into the comment section. Um, so if you just want to start that off with which faction or race and then a little bit of line as to how and a little bit of a line as to why if you are super creative and 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 like it that way inclined then feel free to write to your heart's content um and if you're not like uh, like matt then just give a black and white reason why yeah um but on that note let's let's draw a, a lovely end to a lovely episode um and hopefully the last episode that we record apart so i've been sam i've been matt and I have been Neil. And this has been the Adeptus Terror Podcast. Have a wonderful day, month, year, whenever you're listening to this. Indeed. We shall see you soon. Indeed. In your sleep. Thanks for listening to another successfully recorded episode of the Adeptus Terror Podcast. Join the conversation on the Adeptus Terror Podcast community safe room on Facebook. Follow us on Instagram at the Adeptus Terror Podcast or email at the Adeptus Terror Podcast at gmail.com if you just want to chat to Matt. Thanks again.